Hello and welcome back to episode 45 of Double Reel, the monthly magazine podcast for the discerning film nerd. This is the fourth part of our issue. Uh, hopefully you've caught up with the other parts which came out in the past couple of weeks. If not, please do go back to your app, download them and have a listen. These include the first part Double Reel Monthly with news, reviews of new releases including The Three Musketeers Milady, Rebel Moon Part 1, The Burial and Saltburn, the first film in my new year-long project on women directors which is Coda and an announcement about James's project for 2024. The second part was the fiendish penalty shootout film quiz. Then we had our regular features episode including classics and recommended feature The Player, our hidden gem Ed Wood, our one that got away Orson Welles' The Other Side of the Wind and a remake Hate Watch of Blonde. You'll have noticed that there's a little bit of a theme to our, our features this month, which is films about films and the film industry. Now we bring you our big conversation where we get into a fuller, i.e. longer discussion. As it's January and we enjoyed doing it so much in previous years, we've decided to give you lucky people the third annual Double Reel Awards for excellence and otherwise in the films of 2023. First, a very warm welcome back to my co-host, James Adamson. Welcome, James. Hello. Thank you very much for that lovely introduction. As, as in previous years, we are going to walk through our, our awards that we just like. It's our way of, I don't know, reviewing the year that we've, that we've just had. And, you know, it's just a bit of fun. Although I'm sure all the people who made the films will be listening with bated breath to see if they've won. Um, or even if they've been nominated, uh, which is an honour in itself. Um, we look at any films which were released uh, cinematically or streaming in 2023, uh, calendar year in the UK. So there'll be a couple of things that came out like late December in the US, for example, which did last were in last year's awards, uh, you know, cycle for them. But they're a 2023 film to us, uh, and we have the usual awards like you know what who you know what do we think the best film, best director, etc. was, and a few awards of our own, such as biggest mistake, worst actor, worst accent, stuff like that. Sometimes as we go along, we invent another award because we like to freeform a little bit, but that's the way it's going to go. But uh, as it's award season, news and, and and other updates are coming out about the about the Oscars. So, uh, James, did you um, did you see that the nominations for this year's Oscars have come out for the twenty twenty four ceremony, rewarding the films of twenty twenty three? Yes, I did. Uh, briefly discussed it with my partner because she's outraged that Barbie didn't get enough nominations. Um, but that's yeah, all I, I've I, kind of really seen of it. I've just seen like the kind of obviously the ones that have got the most are, you know, Oppenheimer and. Um, is it Poor Woman? Uh, yeah, Oppenheimer's got thirteen nominations. I think Poor Things and Poor, Kill- thing, Poor Things and Killers of the Flower Moon have got like eleven. I think. Um, I mean, we've seen this before. Like films getting lots and lots of nominations in in recent years, or they have tended to share the awards out. Not many people sweep the boards. You don't get many like Titanic's or Lord of the Rings: Return of the King these days. Um, yeah, Barbie's got. I mean, just read this down. Barbie's got. It's been nominated for best film. Um, it looks like uh, it looks like Margot Robbie's been um snubbed for best actress. Uh, no Greta Gerwig. Greta Gerwig's been snubbed for best directing, although she has had a nomination for best adapted screenplay. Which they've done this before, like the number of times that Spike Lee's been nominated and in fact won for screenplay. And they've kind of ignored his direction. They've kind of done it to Tarantino. He's never won for director. There's certain there's certain things that the that the awards don't um, don't recognise very well. And I think a generally upbeat and, and fun film. Although uh, there's a supporting actress support the supporting acting awards they've been nominated for. Ryan Gosling's been nominated for supporting actor for Barbie, which I think is a nice touch. And 
I thought America. Yeah, America Ferrera is nominated supporting actor for um for um for her part in Barbie as well. But yeah, a bit of a yeah, I think a bit of a letdown for Barbie. It's definitely a snub for Greta Gerwig. I mean, of all the films that you watched last year, mate, I mean, I think you you, you would agree that we'll, we'll get into this a bit later, but you'll agree that Barbie is probably one that depended as much as, if not more than most, on the input of its director. Right, the direction was so important to that film working or not. So. Like I said, I briefly discussed this with my, my partner and I understood why the Oscars hadn't been nominated, but I think it's for all the reasons you've just kind of mentioned, like um, how Tarantino and Spike Lee got nominated for screenplay because they're such brilliant writers. And perhaps that's why. And I think Barbie's going to get recognised for its strong points, mm-hmm. like the music and, you know, in other areas as opposed to its direction. Now, I thought Barbie was very good and certainly would say that I've not seen all the films that have been nominated for Best Director, but I think the direction of Barbie was nowhere near Oppenheimer and probably on a par with Killers of the Flower Moon with what it was trying to do. Obviously, two totally, totally different films. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I think when you look at the direction of what that film was trying to do, in its purest form, Barbie is a dull... It's, I think Ryan Gosling put a statement saying, thank, like, I'm honoured to be nominated, but Greta Gerwig basically started with a story that started with a doll that doesn't have a crotch. Like, it's a crotch with a doll, and <laughs> yeah. now they've made a film that yeah. was brilliant and fun yeah, had ideas and, and made yeah. lots of money. Um, and it started with, a like, going, oh, why don't we make a film that is inspired by a, a doll, effectively? Yeah, I mean, if I, I would put it this way, that I don't... See, Barbie's nominated for um, Best film and has no chance right if if Greta Gerwig had been nominated for director I don't think she'd win but I think she had she had more I, I would have thought she'd have more chance to win best director than Barbie has to win best picture if you see what I mean yeah but yeah it, it is what it is I mean Poor Things has been nominated in a number of a number of categories they do love uh, um, Mr. Lanthimos uh, yeah I mean Barbie's up against Oppenheimer in adapted screenplay. I mean, Oppenheimer's got to be a, a, a front runner for pretty much all of the awards that it's that it's in for, except um, maybe for best supporting actress. But I was I was very surprised at that. But what, what, yeah, we, before yeah. because I think we're going to get way we're, 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 yeah, yeah, we're, we're, we're going we're to get into a lot of these discussions as we go. Yeah. I think because you know we've got discussions about who's supporting actress and, and everything else should be, but. Um, yeah, so uh, overall, uh, what sort of year do you think we've just had in terms of films? It's been an interesting year. I think um, we've had the kind of usual like Oscar bait films, like Killers of the Flower Moon is a pure Oscar bait film. I think that's what Martin Scorsese does. When he releases a film, it's a film that's going to come out at a specific time of the year, and it's going to be a type of story that is going to draw interest from the academy and then we've had Oppenheimer which is just the kind of Nolan event that every three to four years he makes a film releases it on the 21st of July because that's when he likes to release his films I don't think he particularly cares about the Oscars I think he would be obviously honoured and grateful to receive an award and a nomination etc and all that usual uh, Hollywood you know jargon that they they tend to throw about when it's award season however I think it's been quite interesting to see films like um, Barbie nominated um, in several categories. And um, yeah, I think it's... Yeah, I suppose in a sense, Barbie would have been would not have been nominated for anything a few years ago. We should perhaps acknowledge that. Yeah. <coughs> Excuse me. Yeah, I mean, I, I think, 
Yeah, I think I think you're right about Nolan. I think he cares about winning winning awards, but not enough to change what he does. Like the opposite of that is um, Bradley Cooper, who I think the Academy loves and he's very good. And Maestro has been nominated in a lot of categories. But you know, while I've not seen it, I will you know uh, you know couch it as that. It does look from the outside as something that's been machine tooled to try and win awards, right? Yeah, it, and I think that might have been its downfall. I mm. think it obviously drew up, drew a lot of kind of controversy when they saw that Bradley Cooper had put a big prosthetic nose on it uh, on his face for the character, um, and I don't know if that's damaged it in any sense. I know we discussed it and didn't really have an issue with it because they, I think, they were trying to. Yeah, I think I th- kind of depict the character's physical attributes. I think he probably could have done without it, um, yeah. but I think that's probably harmed it in some sense. Um, but that is definitely an Oscar film. I think that Bradley Cooper's gone a bit overboard with that one. It's it's a little yeah. bit like Sean Penn. I am Sam. He is just yeah. desperately trying to win an Oscar. Yeah, um, I I think the sort of the G face thing blew over a little bit because at the end of the day they just went well, you know. I, I mean, I saw the pictures and went that nose is a bit much. But I mean, if you look at it this way. Um, Variety had him down as the favourite before the Golden Globes. And then when Killian Murphy won the Golden Globes, I think a few people went, actually, this might not be Bradley Cooper's year at all. Um, but look, it, it, it is what it is. I, I think the Hollywood is not a place that lets anti-Semitism slide. I, I, th- I think they're all right in that. But I, I think it's more the point, let you say, that's an Oscar film. And two, you know, he's gone, he's gone I am Sam. And, and that, 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 that does tend to to drop down a little bit um yeah I mean I I thought I remember talking to you at the beginning of the year well part way through the year thinking it hasn't been that brilliant I think it's picked up second half a bit hasn't it because we had Oppenheimer we had Barbie we had a few films come out that I think have been interesting that it did go through a bit of a lull where I just went I'm not sure I've seen many films that actually I find that interesting but I guess overall it's been you know, I mean, when I was going through my sort of long list, there were quite a few films that I went, you know, that, that's pretty good. I mean, I've watched, I've watched around about sixty new films from twenty twenty three, and I I didn't struggle too much to come up with a long list and a short list of of good stuff in each category. So I'll, I'll say that for it, you know. Yeah, um, I think the final point for that maestro thing, I think it's just, I think it's a bit of hypersensitive sensitivism if that's mm-hmm. a, if that's the right word because if someone played Julius Caesar now the Romans famously had big crooked noses if someone done that would there have been as much controversy but it, I think it's just a kind of negative kind of associations and the stereotype um, associated yeah. with you know depicting Jewish people that way but I think I think, I, it, not, I think I, it not I think it knocked a few points off for him that's all yeah I don't think Maestro was ever in the running. Not, like it was ever like Bradley Cooper was ever going to be at the forefront. I think as soon as we saw Oppenheimer, or at least whenever I as when I saw Oppenheimer back in July, and even when I saw that, that film was getting made, I thought, yeah, there's a real strong t- chance here that Killian Murphy's the favorite. I think Killian Murphy's always been the favorite in my eyes, but maybe that's just me. Yeah, I I just I just happened to notice I was looking at like you know googling Oscar articles and Variety, which I believe is like a you know not quite the the paper of record, but a, a, a news source that people in the Hollywood you know in Hollywood listen to had Bradley Cooper down as the favorite to win Best Actor, and I went really. Um, but then in the Globes, I mean, Maestro got absolutely nothing, and I thought actually that's that's probably more like it. It's like yeah. A bunch of nominations are not going to win anything without I don't I don't think anyone I think people like the film I just don't think it's quite shouldered its way to the front you know yeah 
But for us, we we have a range of a range of awards. Um, what I was going to do, mate, uh, f- for this, I think if we if we get into it and say we'll go through the awards in order. Um, I'll say my nominations, you say yours, and we'll work out what we, you know, there might be some some variations, and we'll, and we'll work out what we're, um, you know, we'll work through who we think who we think the winner is. And I think there are some there are some easy ones and some ones that might take more discussion, but we can kind of crack through, yeah. Smashing. Okay, so at pretty much the same order that we did before, but we start with Best Supporting Actor. Um, that's usually one of the awards they lead off with at the Oscars. That's probably why I did it. Um, I had a, a reasonable... I mean, how many how many films were there on my long list before I shortlisted? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven... So, like, my, my, my long list like represented about, you know, ten films... And then my, you know, my shortlist of that of five is no particular order, I don't think. Uh, Robert Downey Jr., Oppenheimer. Uh, Forrest Goodluck in How to Blow Up a Pipeline. Robert De Niro, Killers of the Flower Moon. Ryan Gosling, Barbie. And Bradley Cooper, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. I mean, I think he's probably more awards-worthy in that for me than, than he would be in Maestro. Um, any any eyebrow raises for you out of, out of my five? Not an eyebrow razor, but you know he's not going to win just because it's an animated performance. Or um, technically, he doesn't even do the motion capture. That's uh, James Gunn's brother. But really, I, yeah. I would agree. That's uh, uh, yeah. He just goes into the studio and does the voice uh, since the first one. It's uh, what's his name, Sean Gunn. Yeah, he plays. He also plays an actual character in it. He plays the kind of uh, one of the. I think it's like the the Raiders. He's or Reavers or whatever. Yeah, yeah, something yeah, like yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. Um, but no, I would agree. I think the. It would be it'd be good for a, an actor to get recognition for something that isn't actually a physical performance because Andy Serkis would have won about five Oscars by now. Yeah, um, I mean, yeah, they, they might. If if you if you were going to innovate the Oscars, you might sort of say, let's have a motion capture acting award. Because um, yeah, um, Andy Serkis. I mean, just in in something like Planet of the Apes stuff. I mean, he pioneered it in other films, but in Planet of the Apes, you just think. I, different species. I watched three films and I'm going, yeah, I, I believe that character. I believe his face. I believe what he's saying, you know. Um, so what 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 were your what were your nominees in this uh, category? So I I interestingly put Leonardo DiCaprio in this category. Um he obviously is one of the he's obviously Leonardo DiCaprio and has a lot of screen time, but he's not the main point of that film. It's obviously about Lily Gladstone. So I had Robert De Niro and Leonardo DiCaprio on the supporting actor. Hmm. Uh, categories I had um, Ryan Gosling and I think I only had four I was struggling from the films that I'd actually seen um, and then I put uh, Robert Downey Jr. for Oppenheimer so that's four uh, I, I hadn't seen enough of the other films I could put Bradley Cooper in but I, I didn't want to just put in a nomination just because they're getting attention so I just stuck with my four okay so the only variation really is the fact that you've put DiCaprio in here in supporting actor I mean I I, I did consider him in, in leading actor just because I thought he, he, he got a huge amount of screen time um, but I mean I'm, I'm not averse to him being considered a, a supporting actor in this I mean how, how close to the, the top of your thinking is he as a supporting actor um, I mean, he probably has more lines in that film than anyone, but I think the the whole point is talking about um Molly Burkhart, uh, Lily Gladstone's character. Yeah, and even though Leonardo DiCaprio's probably in that film more, I feel like he's more of like the he sort of drives the story in terms of from like a kind of supporting perspective. He's the one that is you know 
doing the kind of dirty work in the background, whether he's consciously doing it or not. Yeah. Um, he obviously is. But, um, yeah, I just put him in that category because I, I feel like he wouldn't have a chance in the best actor um, yeah. category. I mean, I think, given what you've said, I mean, we could consider, let's drop Bradley Cooper out because, like you say, he doesn't fully do the performance. It's not just him. And nothing against him. I think what he does in the... Uh, in, in in these films is really good, but he is just doing the voice. Um, it would be, maybe be a bit different if he was doing the, the physical performance as well. So, so I, I'm, I could go with putting DiCaprio in, in as supporting actor here. Um, and then I think that's, we've basically got the same five. Who, 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 who's your leader here? I mean, I thought, I mean, I thought De Niro was amazing in Killers of the Flower Moon in, in a, all the performances, I think, in Killers of the Flower Moon, I think what Scorsese's done well there is that there's no there's no showboating. People just deliver really solid performances that serve the film. And I think De Niro served the film really well with his, you know, he could have, you know, he doesn't go over the top at all. I mean, not that De Niro ever really goes over the top, but he's really sort of very nicely tuned performance. Obviously, Ryan Gosling and Barbie was really strong. Um uh, but I mean, the smart money at the Oscars is that Robert Downey Jr. is going to win. I mean, I don't know who your front runner is out of your nominations. I mean, it's probably going to be um, Robert Downey Jr., isn't it? He, it's not, it's not like a pure exaggerated performance. It's a very measured performance from him. He's, you know, he's. It's an in, it's an interesting one to win Best Supporting Actor because when I think of Best Supporting Actor, I think of like these performances that are maybe they're only in 20 minutes of the film but they just they steal the show like the one that's coming to my mind is jared leto in dallas buyers club mm-hmm. like that's a completely outrageous performance you know for playing rayon um but it, you know it was it was superb but this one it's more of a it's kind of conniving it's you know it's quite bitter it's quite childish in there yeah he's sense. really he's really petty and vain isn't he? he's really got it in for um, for Oppenheimer, for really shitty reasons, and I think yeah. Danny, Robert Danny Jr. portrays that really well, and he carries that part of the film really well, doesn't he? The, the sort of the the Robert, it's like the the that third, that hearing, that third of the film, he carries it really well. I mean, is he is he your winner here? Um, yes, but I want to give a special shout out to Robert De Niro's character in Killers of the Flower Moon because it is just so. So good. This the kind of how sinister and evil that man uh, was, and how he's portrayed. But how Robert Downey Jr. plays the kind of charismatic front to make the community think that he's a good guy when he's actually the most evil bastard that um, the mm-hmm. Osage community has ever seen. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, Robert De Niro. He just reveals himself to be just so evil, and he just like with each scene he plums a new depth. But he's. I think what's brilliant is that he's when you get to the end of the film, Robert Robert De Niro seems more evil than you could possibly imagine. Yet he's been the same in every scene. Do you know what I mean? It's like it's he he's he's really he's, he's, I'm not saying this right. He's judged his performance so well that he's the same guy you see at the beginning, but over time you realise how really evil he is under un, un, underneath that. You know, um, which you know, which I think is is how people are right. People are what they are, and it's it's a very cinematic kind of trope that they, you know, when the mask slips, they they act more evil than they were at the start. But he's the same guy. You just realise how evil he is as the story unfolds, which is really good. I mean, I'm I'm leaning towards Robert Downey Jr. as well. I I really did like Forrest Good Luck and How to Blow Up a Pipeline. That's a small film, and he's not a very well known actor. I really was impressed by him, but I 
and, and obviously I love Ryan Gosling and Barbie, but I think Robert Downey Jr. is is the guy for me. Are, are you okay with that for your yep. win? Okay, so the third annual um, Double Reel Award for uh, Best Supporting Actor goes to Robert Downey Jr. and Oppenheimer, our customary postal order for 50 pence. In fact, let's not make it a postal order. Fuck the post office. We'll come up with some other gift. An Amazon voucher for 50 pence. There you go. Amazon's nice. slightly less evil than the post office. Fuck the post office. Okay, so that's that's one award handed out. Um, I'm sure he'd have made a lovely speech if he could have been here. Um, Best Supporting Actress is the one I've got down next. Um, drawn from similar films, you know, Oppenheimer, Barbie, um, The Pale Blue Eye. You know, Harry Melling, you know, um, Dudley Dursley from Pale Blue Eye, by the way, was on my long list for supporting actor because I thought he was very good. I thought all the performances were good in Pale Blue Eye. Um, but when it came down to it, similar films have come up in my... Um, uh, uh, nominations. I've actually got both the female performances from Oppenheimer in my sport and actress nominations, but I don't think I'm not sure if any of them are going to win. I've got Florence Pugh for Oppenheimer and Emily Blunt for Oppenheimer. I've got America Ferreira for Barbie. I've got Carrie Coon for The Boston Strangler and Cara Jade Myers from Killers of the Flower Moon. She played Lady Gladstone's character's sister, the one who was kind of taken down to the river and murdered. Um, so those are my five. What are your thoughts? You, you said you said earlier you were a little bit surprised at the uh, the uh, nomination for Emily Blunt in Oppenheimer. But you were not. Were you less impressed with their performances? Or um, I wouldn't have put Florence Pugh in. I think Emily Blunt was always going to get in because Oppenheimer's obviously got nominated for pretty much every award apart from best actress in the leading role. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think the category this year, I've just I've once once again I've not seen them. I refuse to watch The Color Purple, even though that's um, getting a lot of nominations. I just I can't be asked with another rehash. But apparently, um, Danielle Brooks is very good in it. Yeah. Um. So I went with Emily Blunt in Oppenheimer. Uh huh. Um, America Ferreira in Barbie. I put Vanessa Kirby from Napoleon. Just uh, because you've got her as a supporting actor. Interesting. Yeah. She's not. She's not in it like enough to be a lead. Um. I thought, while I had problems with the film, nobody really knows the story of Josephine that well, and it was, it was quite, it was quite an interesting performance to see someone challenging Napoleon, and you know having his balls in a vice, um, mm-hmm. and seeing this great military leader basically you know reduced to like a small kind of scolded child. Um, it it was the contrast, wasn't it, between what he was like on a battlefield and what he was like behind closed doors, right? It was it was so, interesting, and she she was good for that. Yeah, I thought that that was a really interesting kind of performance, but I've not I've I've genuinely not seen enough. That that's the problem. I've not seen I've not seen Saltburn, um, and I've not seen um, Niad or. Um, I don't know if Niad's even even out here. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't hold over. So it's it was quite a, a weak year, or maybe it was just the timing. So I've just not seen them. But yeah, I didn't. Yeah, I mean, I can I can go with dropping out Florence Pugh from Oppenheimer because she's not in it a great deal, and adding in Vanessa Kirby 
So let me do that to make sure that we note that that's what the nominations are doing. I had Vanessa Kirby down in in, in lead actress, but I, I take your point. I, I do think it's it's just natural that I think in terms of like screen time, Napoleon's going to have a lot more time. I mean, I think that you remember there was that whole argument where where, where Ridley Scott told the people about historical actors, just told them shut the fuck up. That's him just do, you know speaking in his blunt way. Underlying what he's saying is that. Um, the first book about Napoleon um, and his life was written two weeks after, like written the year he died. And there's been, a, 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 on average, a new book written about Napoleon every two weeks for the last 200 years. Huh. So it's like he's so heavily written about. So on the one hand, you say, well, there's going to be so many different interpretations of Napoleon. And secondly, no one in the world in that story is going to, has, I mean, anywhere near as written about as him. He's always going to be like just above, isn't he, in terms of screen time and, and time spent. So, yeah, Vanessa Kirby's supporting. All right. And who, what did you think of Cara Jade Myers in Killers of the Flower Moon in terms of, because I think that's a film we've both seen, but you didn't, you didn't mention her? So, the problem with Killers of the Flower Moon is that it focuses so much on how bad the white people are that the, Native American performances I felt were a little bit lost in the film, other than Lily Ladson, who I also thought wasn't in the film that much. She does a mm. lot of just kind of lying in bed and looking sickly. Um, so there's obviously brilliant moments where she goes to speak to is mm. it President Hoover. Um, uh, yeah, it must be. Yeah, um, but I thought there were so many people that were affected by this, and is it Rita? She plays the one that um, they take to the cliff and shoot her. Spoiler yeah. alert! So yeah, yeah. Um, I thought, yeah, that was a good performance. Um, but I think the Killers of the Flower Moon would have been a shoo-in if there was an Oscar for Best Ensemble, just because I thought yeah. the performances of like the Native American, like I know, I know what you males mean. and like the females, like the kind of chiefs, I suppose, is a, for want of a better word, like the kind of yeah. leading figures of that, and then the uh, people like um, play like, people like Rita and then uh, Molly's sisters, Molly's um, mother. There wasn't enough for me to go, yep. But, you know, Judy Dench won an Oscar for what was eight minutes of performance playing yeah. Queen Elizabeth I. So, yeah. yeah, I'm happy for, for her to be in there. Like I said, I, I only had three proper standouts. Yeah, yeah. So. yeah. Who, who, who's, uh, who was your front runner of, of your of your nominations? Uh, it's a hard one because I've already said that um, Emily Blunt's performance surprises me. But out of mine, it would probably have to be her purely for the bit where she has a go at... Uh, I forget his name. Um, he is in. He's in everything, and I don't know his name. Something Clark, Jason Clark, is that his name? Yeah, 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 yeah. I just, I just, I just, I just watched him in Zero Dark Thirty last night. Yeah, she's, yeah, yeah she, she's very good, and I think, I think there's different achievements. I mean, I, I would like to just give it a quick shout out to Carrie Coon, who, who very early in the year I thought she's going to be on my list of nominations. I was really impressed with her performance in in a very non showy way. She just, she just gave me a completely kind of three dimensional character. Like I, I totally believe her. She's really kind of, she just kind of caught my attention throughout the film. Um, I thought, I thought America Ferreira. What she was really good at is that that. That can be a bit of a thankless role sometimes, you know, the mum whose teenage daughter no longer thinks she's cool and she's kind of she's kind of been put there a little bit to be like uh to represent ordinary people and the way she responds to the world of Barbie and Ken and everything happening to her. She's kind of the vessel through which the audience kind of sees or receives like if if you were if you were in the story you'd be you'd be a character like her do you know what i mean because we're regular people going what the fuck is this is that barbie for real you know 
and and I thought to 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 be serving that purpose in the film, but to come through it so well. I mean, it's a well written character, credit to Greta Gerwig, and that speech she gives about how hard it is. I think um, it's. Uh, I thought she was very good. I do think Emily Blunt. It's like for me, there was a little bit of a toss up. It wasn't. She's not in it enough, and it's all about Killian Murphy. So it's not enough to be a leading performance. But it is really strong. I mean, I, 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 I do think Vanessa Kirby was extraordinary as well. Um, uh, but uh, I really loved her performance. But I, I could, I could go with Emily Blunt winning this for Oppenheimer as a supporting actress. Are you good with that? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think it'll be um, Emily Blunt when it comes to the Oscars. It looks like the actress who name escapes me. I will get it for you now from the holdovers, Divine Joy. Um, Divine Joy Randolph, sorry, um, will probably win. She looks probably the, the safest bet. But. Yeah, that that film's really blown up in America. I, I I've not seen it yet, and I don't think it's a twenty twenty three film as far as we're concerned. So, yeah, we might but, be talking yeah, about that I'm in ha- a year's time. I'm happy with Emily Blunt. Let's say Emily Blunt. Okay, Oppenheimer is doing well so far. Okay, and an, another another winner who couldn't be with us. I'm sure she sends us her best. Thank you, Emily. You're <laughs> well done for winning again. Um, I won't pursue this bit for too long, mate. Don't worry. Um, best huh. best screenplay is the next one. We don't we don't dis- distinguish between adapted and uh, 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 original. I don't think it's if you've seen every film or three hundred films that come out. I think it's just it's it's just a bit tricky for us to try and differentiate between the two. So we just we give one award out for the best writing. Um, I mean, a couple of name, a couple of films that I was looking at that haven't shown up yet. You know, for for their script writing, I I, I thought Bandit, that true life um, a Canadian bank robber film, I thought that was really well written. I thought about Air for this and Nimona and Sisu, um, just because you know, although Sisu doesn't have a lot of dialogue, almost no dialogue at times, I thought it was very very well done and, and very well written. And 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 I I, I had Babylon down here as well because I do think Babylon was was great although you know i would say there are one or two kind of flaws in how babylon's written so that didn't quite make it but in terms of my actual top five um for screenplay i've got oppenheimer barbie how to blow up a pipeline again missing uh and the three musketeers i've kind of taken the two three musketeers films as one because they both came out in the same year i've kind of just bunched together like d'artagnan milady is one big film um and missing was that one where it's all the whole film plays out on the screens being of the, of the girl who's trying to find her mum, which I thought was very clever. And I thought that required very good writing to pull that whole film off. So that's why those are my five. Um, any anything I've put there that kind of you, you know disagree with or shocked by or anything like that? Um, no, I've gone with uh, Barbie Oppenheimer, Killers of the Flower Moon. Um. I put in Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse because I really enjoyed the story of that and I thought mm. it was very well written. Um, and, you know, for an animated film, I think it's not going to get a nomination because it's not going to be as appreciated, but I, mm-hmm. I put that one in. And my fifth one, is that four that I've done so far? Mm-hmm. I was really struggling for a fifth one, to be quite honest with you. It, just because the Oscars nowadays tend to nominate and, and the Golden Globes tend to nominate these films that haven't even come out yet and I haven't seen. Mm-hmm. But the only other film that could be considered like a film that I've watched in 2023 would probably be 
that Hunger Games prequel that I watched. And I'm not going to give that a nomination because mm-hmm. the problem with that film is that it was too true to the screenplay, <laughs> and mm-hmm. that's why it put a lot of people off. So I'm I'm fine with going with the kind of three common ones that we mentioned there, which was what was it? Barbie, Oppenheimer. Did you put Killers of the Flower Moon? I didn't. No, well, I I would put Killers of the Flower Moon in. Um, I thought that was I thought that was very good. Um, so yeah, and... I mean, essentially, we've got I mean, Killers of the Flower Moon. I don't have uh, Across the Spider Verse. I don't have out of mine. So there's two. There's two. There's two of mine. There's there's two you've got that aren't on my list. I would I would probably say Missing was very good. I, I don't. It's probably not. It was. It was probably never likely to win the award. Do you know what I mean? I thought. I thought it was yeah. very cleverly done, and I wanted to kind of give it some recognition. So that could drop out. And Three Musketeers. Again, I just. I, I thought they did a really good job adapting the 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 film, but it's probably a bit of an odd one that it's two films bunched into one. So we could go Oppenheimer, Barbie, How to Blow Up a Pipeline, uh, Killers of the Flower Moon, and Across the Spider Verse. Yeah, I'm, I'm fine with that. Yeah, I mean, I I did I did want to like give recognition to how to blow up a pipeline because that was very very cleverly written. That the flashback structure was so well done and so well timed. Like that, the bit that really did it for me was there's a bit where they're trying to move this bomb into position and they drop it, and it cuts back to a flashback, and that could have been annoying, but it it's just done so perfectly. It's like, oh my God, and the suspense of waiting to see whether the bomb blows up when this flashback is over, and there's a back of your mind, and it's a really va- valuable piece of background you're getting, and then you go back. I thought it's very, very... It, it, it takes really good writing to pull that off. I do think it's worth it, although I'm it's probably not my front-runner to win. So we've got five nominations there. Now, I think the front-runners here are Oppenheimer and Barbie. Barbie because... Without the writing of Noah Baumbach and um, Greta Gerwig, there uh, you don't ha- you don't have a movie. I mean, you know, Gre- the, the, that, that's why we'll come to the direction later. The way that film was written, and we'll come to the way it's directed. Without that, this is a fucking straight to video kids film. Do you know what I mean? Every other Barbie uh, like uh, is like a shit animated film that's for like four year olds. Yeah. Yeah. It's only with incredibly it's good a writing. Stalking filler. Yeah, it's yeah, exactly. The only reason that this film gets to the start line is because of the writing. And we could talk about the directing, the execution of the idea, but it's so well written. It's got so many good ideas. And not only that, Greta Gerwig, this is why I thought she, what she did with Barbie is like what Nolan did with The Dark Knight, although I think Batman's a better basis for a film. It's that the the ideas and the, the things that Greta Gerwig wants to make films about they stand on their own and they've lifted this film up to a, a new level. She could have taken those ideas and put them into something else, but she realised Barbie was the right place at the right time for her to do them. And then she just absolutely fucking nails it. Her and Noah Baumbach, to be fair, there's two writers. Um, but that that's why that one gets there. But probably the sheer achievement of Oppenheimer does come down to... I mean, I think there's a few things that made Oppenheimer as, as good as it is, and I think the writing's a big part of that. I mean, where are you between Oppenheimer and Barbie in terms of the writing? I would, I would give it to Oppenheimer because I think I want to give Barbie awards in other areas, um, which we'll get onto later. And I think this is what they're probably going to do with the Oscars because this is what they do now. They try and. They try to spread the awards. And share, share, share them out a little bit, don't they? Recognize the Oscars. Recognize the film 
for his girl. I did think it was very well written. I don't think it was um, I know it was the best written film of the year though. I think mm-hmm. when you put it up against the other ones, I don't think I think it's on a par with Killers of the Flower Moon. Like I said previously, mm-hmm. that it um tells you know the story and it had a significant challenge in presenting that story without making it. Mm-hmm. Another animated Barbie film that you put in your daughters or yeah. sons, um, stalking for Christmas. Um, whereas Oppenheimer was just, it was the, I don't think there was anything wrong with the script. That, you know, it was just amazing from start to finish. Yeah, I mean, it's, I mean, the, the whole thing with Oppenheimer is, I do think it was like flawlessly executed. Let, let's not, let's not foreshadow too much the discussions on Best Picture. But yeah, I thought the way it, the way it was written was was, was exceptional. Okay, so Christopher Nolan wins uh, Best Screenplay for his work on uh, Oppenheimer. That's in the adapted uh, category, as as is Barbie. A um, little bit odd that Barbie's considered adapted from other material. Yeah, it's so like, is, there a, is there a Barbie book or something? No, no it's, I don't a, know it's, a, it's a, adapted from a box. I don't know, a, a box with a doll in it. Doesn't feel like an adapted to me, but there you go. Um, let's not go too far into that because the um, the, the the guy who hosted the uh, the Globes absolutely died on his ass with the, that gag. So let's not take it any further. Stay out of trouble. Um, so there we go. Another th- three awards down, and Oppenheimer is three for three so far. And I think it's got a pretty good chance in the next one, which is best original score. I mean, I had yeah, a, I had no, a few... don't, don't mention the other categories. Yeah, I mean, I, I, had a, I had a few, I had a few down here. I mean, that, that didn't make the long list. I thought Pale Blue Eye had a nice score. I thought Sisu was very good. Dream Scenario, the Nick Cage film, was very good. I thought the score for Across the Spider Verse was very good. I thought the music was very strong on that. But yeah. in the end, my five nominations are one of them. I know you're going to disagree with Oppenheimer. No, you don't say it. Killers of the Flower Moon, Babylon, Napoleon. And nope. how to blow up a pipeline. I know nope. you disagree with Napoleon, and I know we're, because we get operate by consensus. I, I can be sure that's not going to make the final five now. But what what were your what what were your five? Let, let's do that. What were your five? Uh, Oppenheimer, 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 Oppenheimer. It doesn't it doesn't matter. Ludwig Göransson's a fucking genius. Um, I, if if I had to, I would definitely put across the Spider Verse in there. Um, for the sake of having five nominations we agree on, I'm going to write that down. Sorry for the tapping at home, folks. That's just me making notes here. Um, yeah, that's across the Spider-Verse. I thought the Killers of the Flower Moon score was brilliant. I thought the the use of you know Native American music in it was superb and probably the second best score of the year. Um, just, um, just, just. A, I mean, just a quick note on that. That was the last work. I think the last work in film by Robbie Robertson, a longtime collaborator of um, Bob uh, of, of Bob Dylan, but also of of Martin Scorsese for him, his films. An absolutely extraordinary musician, uh, and he's he did something very special with that. I do, I do, I just say that was really, really very strong. Um, sorry, I, I interrupted you. Yeah. Um... I thought the scoring, the scoring Barbie is a hard one because it is mostly just kind of musical numbers, but I've put that in there. Mm-hmm. Um, so what's that? Oppenheimer, Across the Spider-Verse, Killers of the Flower Moon. I mean, you could put Napoleon in there, but it's it's those four which are very good, and then uh, like Napoleon's, you know, 50 layers of shit, and then can be the fifth one. Um I I want to I want to go into bat a, a little bit for a couple of my nominations. I don't think you've even seen Babylon, which is probably why it's not um, uh, on your list for anything yet. But the score of Babylon, it's it it came out very very early last year. But I I thought the 
the score of Babylon was absolutely amazing. Not to the not to the extent of Oppenheimer, because I think Oppenheimer is in a class of its own in this category. But Babylon did a similar job of driving the the film, like the pace of what's happening on screen. It feels like the it feels like. Um, let me just get the guy's name because I've written the score, but not the guy's name. And it's it's Damien Chazelle's longtime collaborator. Um, it feels like he's not just conducting his musicians. It feels like he's conducting the film. You know, you know the way um, Morricone used to. You know, uh, and I, I think it is exceptional what he does. I love the way that the characters in some of the key characters in in Open. Uh, in Babylon, Diego Calva's character, Brad Pitts and Margot Robbie's, they all have their own theme and it, it, it sets the mood so, so beautifully. And there's this like really rasping kind of, you know, it, the, the music sets the tone in, in scenes as well. I think it's absolutely, I do think that was extraordinary. That was Justin Hurwitz. That's the guy who does that. And how to blow up a pipeline. It's not going to win, but obviously I'm a big fan of John Carpenter. John Carpenter is probably the pioneer of electronic film scoring probably as good as there's ever been uh, but this was really good how to blow up a pipeline had a really nice driving powerful uh well done score and you think they've probably got 50 pence in a fucking you know packet of fags to 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 do everything on that film with so they've managed with electronic music to really elevate you know a well done film but really give you something extra with the score i, I, I did want to you know I, i'd fight for that i mean but if we've got what have we got if we add up all the films we've got Two, three. Let's drop Napoleon because it's one, two, three, four. You've got across the Spider-Verse and, and, and Barbie. I mean, I tend to agree with you that I think Barbie was more about the songs than the score. So if we drop if we drop Napoleon out of mine and add across the Spider-Verse to yours, we've got kind of a joint five. Does that work for you? Yep. I mean I dropped drop Napoleon off my list and, and so that, that that's that's the five. Um, but there's only one winner, isn't it? It's Oppenheimer. Yep. Uh, the the bit that won it for me was when they're reading out the 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 judgment in what looks what is essentially a meeting room. I've sat in meeting rooms like that, and we've discussed what we're going to do on the project, you know. And he's been he's had his security clearance taken away from him. Right? It's not the bomb. It's not the completion of the test. It's not the drop on Hiroshima. It's not. The, the 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 cold war ruining everything it's it's it, what should be the most inconsequential part of this story is absolutely gripping because of Garanson's music it's like this this moment and what it's doing to Oppenheimer and how he feels about that and how his wife played Emily Blunt feels about that it's absolutely captured and when you can do that with music about some people talking in a meeting room you're you're in a class of your own aren't you so, four for four. This is all very predictable so far. Ludwig Göransson wins for uh, best original score for 2023 for his work on Oppenheimer. We've done one, two, three, four awards, and Oppenheimer's won all four of them. Yes. Okay. Uh, well done, Ludwig Göransson. That's not the last award he's going to win this year either. Um, Probably ever. He's going to be one of the modern greats. Yeah, I mean, it's like, it, it feels like, it, was he a protege of, of Hans Zimmer or is he just someone else that Christopher Nolan just decided to work with? I have no idea. Yeah, because he feels like, I, I'm sure I'm sure there's no bad blood between Nolan and, and Hans Zimmer, but it feels like, it feels like both Nolan and Hans Zimmer had a, a really productive collaboration and now Hans Zimmer's 
with no hard feelings, gone off to do some other stuff, and and uh, and Nolan has replaced him easy more easily than I thought he possibly could have done. I mean, how do you replace Hans Zimmer? Well, fucking that's how, right? Yeah, I think it was a combination. I think Hans Zimmer, um, he came out and said that he didn't really want to do any more superhero films, and obviously Nolan's not done a superhero film in twelve years. Mm-hmm. But I think, I think Hans Zimmer sought other projects. I don't think he just meant superhero films. Comic book films, I think, it might have been the, the better um, term for it. But I think he's he's gone and done, you know, other films, like types of films in that time. Like he's done June, which he won for. He's done um, Twelve Years a Slave, which he should have won for. Now that's very different to the types of films that Nolan makes. Yeah, maybe not June. Nolan could have done a very good job of June, but um, yeah, I think it was just a case of look, we've we've made good films, and I don't think that says that they're not ever going to work again in the future. Um, there might come a time where Ludwig Granson's, you know, schedule's tied and he can't do, um, yeah, a, a Nolan film. I don't think I don't. Yeah, like you said, there's no bad blood at all. Yeah, I just think that they're both both Nolan and Hans Zimmer are the kind of people who don't necessarily want to repeat themselves. So when you think he's been making music with, um, with Nolan since two thousand and five, through to um, uh, through to Dunkirk, well, great. You know, but I think they've both done very well out of it and are both happy with where they are now. But yeah, Ludwig Göransson has, you know, yeah. I mean, if 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 we were to do our um, music episode again, our film scoring episode, which is best to listen to on Spotify because we've got some music in there. I think you know Ludwig Göransson would probably get a longer, more runtime now because he's just a, he's just a modern great now already. Yeah, I mean, he's TV film. He's got iconic scores under his belt already mm-hmm. which is yeah incredible to think about but yeah we move now to best cinematography and again Oppenheimer is among my uh, my choices for this um what the films that didn't make the uh, the cut, but I think were very good and worth worth mentioning for their cinematography. I thought the Three Musketeers films looked amazing. I thought John Wick Chapter Four was very well shot. Um, I mean, I mention it even though the film itself is very very mediocre. But I did think that Guy Ritchie film Operation Fortune Ruse de Guerre. It looked glorious. It looked very very nice. He's a he's very good at. Um is cinematography guy Ritchie. I think he Yeah. He knows what a film's meant to look like, which is Yeah. And and I thought the pale blue blue eye was very well shot. But the nominations I've got are uh, Oppenheimer, Killers of the Flower Moon, Napoleon, Barbie, and Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part One are my five. I've got four of them. The only difference is I didn't have Mission Impossible, I had Spider Man across the Spider Verse. But I'm fine with Mission Impossible being in there. Yeah, I mean, I've, I mean, cinematography does matter for animation. Otherwise, they wouldn't have got Roger Roger Deakins to 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 be director of photography for an animated film one time. So it does matter. Um, yeah, I mean, for me, I mean, Mission Impossible: Dead Reckoning for its cinematography. I wouldn't say that cinematography was was the, the biggest part of that, but those films do always look absolutely amazing. I mean, if you're talking about any technical category, 
Christopher McQuarrie and Tom Cruise doing a Mission Impossible film. It always looks absolutely stunning. I'm not sure. I'm not sure it did anything other than have the best cameras and be really effectively shot, if you see what I mean. And I do think there is something about Across the Spider-Verse thinking about it because it is it is very inventively shot. And the fact that you've got to portray not just different animations when they move to different worlds, but different animations at, all at the same time on screen because you've got Daniel Kaluuya's punk Spider-Man, you've got each world is animated differently. And then when those worlds collide, that's that takes a lot of doing, doesn't it? So I do understand why you've put it on there. I could live with Mission Impossible being dropped on there. I mean, I just got on there because no, I thought let's, it looked let's, really good. Let's do Mission Impossible. I think Mission Impossible was very well shot as well. It was okay. very slick. Right. It so, was very sharp. And right. animated films, while cinematography is important, um, do kind of have the luxury that they are creating every shot themselves mm-hmm. as opposed to finding the right lighting and that kind of thing. So I'm, I'm fine with that, but just a special mention to Across the Spider-Verse. Again, yeah. for me, it doesn't matter because it's Oppenheimer. But <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I, I did think that the cinematography in Killers of the Flower Moon uh, by Rodrigo Prieto was amazing. Um, I thought... I thought Napoleon was beautifully shot, although I do I do recognise that like The Last Duel, the, um, the, the slightly washed-out colour, which is very much on purpose isn't to everybody's taste. That's Darius Wolski. He His cinematography is great. And Barbie, yeah, but I mean, the, the fact that Barbie looks the way it does and, and it does take work to make everything appear in those bright colours. You know you know the way um, uh, David Fincher does everything in very muted colours? To, to have everything in very bright colours like that takes some doing. But again, Oppenheimer was amazingly shot. You know, the close-ups of people in IMAX. I mean, you know, at some point, some points when I was watching Oppenheimer because I was watching it IMAX, Killian Murphy's eyes are fifty foot high and sixty foot wide, and and you know that's you know the and you've got the, you know the amazing you know generally cinematography in like different kind of formats and different kind of color schemes and everything. Um, so Oppenheimer and uh, and Hoyt van Hoytema, who again is and another one who. Uh, Nolan has managed to to find a replacement very seamlessly. I mean, he did a lot of stuff with Wally Pfister, and when he went off to do his own thing to be a director, it's like Nolan has like a, a, a like it's like he's like a manager who can, who can afford to lose any player from his team because he's got a replacement in mind who's just as good. Because Hoyt van Hoytema, his camera work is fantastic. So are we? So we're happy that once again Oppenheimer is the is the winner. Yeah, I'm, I have no issues with that. Another, they're sweeping the board so far. I mean, I'm just looking. Don't across worry, to don't see. worry. It, it, it's it'll, it'll change soon. Don't worry. It'll change soon. Okay. Um, we move now to some of the you know some of the big uh, the big ones, and then after we've done actor and actress, we sort of I, I thought we kind of hold off on the you know the final you know direct director and 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 best picture kind of do 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 them last. But what we've got here is is best actor now. Um, my, my a couple of people who made the shortlist, who made the long list, but not the shortlist, who I did like, Josh Duhamel in Bandit. I was genuinely surprised and, and, and impressed by his performance. Um, I mean, I, I had Nicola, uh, Leonardo DiCaprio in, in this category, and we've already kind of done him as a, a supporting actor, so we can we can come back to that. I did have Joaquin Phoenix on my long list for, for his performance as Napoleon, although I know he's been very divisive. He hasn't made my shortlist. 
Um, my short and Matt Damon for air because I think Matt Damon just came along and did that usual thing he does. It says, "I'm such a watchable actor, you know. I can make anything. You know, I can make any character worth your time." Um, did did you, you? I don't. I don't suppose you saw air, did you? No, it, I, I want to get around to watching it because it got you know, it got like good reviews across the board. It was like a strong seven out of ten film with him, Ben Affleck. That, um, that's exactly what it is. Yeah. Okay, so so here's my here's my five nominations on the shortlist. Well, four because I had Leonardo DiCaprio in there, and I think because we've already put him in another category, he drops off. So here's my four: Killian Murphy for Oppenheimer, uh, Nicholas Cage for Dream Scenario. Diego Calva for Babylon and Yorma Tomils for Sisu. Okay. Any uh, any any that you sort of strongly disagree with or aren't you know? I mean, it's kind of there's kind of a front runner here anyway. But who who are your nominations? Um, I was expecting to put Leonardo DiCaprio and Joaquin Phoenix in these before I watched those films. Yeah, and then would have had like a strong three and then could have, you know, kind of shoehorned a couple others elsewhere. But because of the, because of the way we've done the categories and because of how underwhelming Napoleon was for me, I've only really got Killian Murphy. Yeah. In which case I'm I'm going to, I'm going to take a, a bit of a, what have I done? We've only got four nominations and I feel like, I feel like my, my OCD is going to kick in if we don't have five. Would you have any objection to Matt Damon coming in here for air? No, I'll trust your judgment. I've not seen it. He's not winning. So He's it's... not winning. I mean, so before we go to the, the sort of the obvious front runner, I thought Diego Calva announced himself in his performance as Manny Torres in Babylon. He was tremendous in that, and he carries a three-hour film. I know that film is very much about Margot Robbie as well, but he... He is the beating heart of that film. He is this young guy who's prepared to do anything to succeed and then realises what that's turned him into. His performance at the end, there's this famous bit, which I think everyone talks about, when you get to the end of Babylon, 30 years later, he sits in a cinema and watches like a montage of like great things that have happened in cinema or are going to happen in cinema. And he feels this strong and but complex emotional response to it because of you know, his part in the pioneering era of film, but also how things went completely sideways while he was there. I thought he was tremendous. I thought Yorma Tomils and Cecil was amazing in character. I think he says maybe two lines of dialogue in the whole film, but he's such a badass and he makes me laugh so much in it as he's going around killing Nazis. And I thought Nick Cage was really good in Dream Scenario. I think we know we have sort of three categories of of, of Nick Cage, which is his genuinely good films. Um his, you know, bad and ridiculous films that you kind of love. And then these kind of middling films that he does where he does a blockbuster or revoices an animated film. And, you know, they, they work for their time. But you're really most interested in, like, Nick Cage on, on his best best behaviour and Nick Cage on his worst behaviour. Well, this is Nick Cage. He, he constructs a really terrific character in Dream Scenario. I don't think that film altogether worked, but he was fantastic in it as this guy. And he's just absolutely... It, when you then see him in something like The Wicker Man where he's going absolutely nuts and shouting, not the bees, you realise that he, he he's making choices whenever he's on screen because this film is absolutely note perfect in Dream Scenario. He absolutely, every, every moment of his character, there are times when his character shouts and gets, you know, but it never goes I'm over the top. Boy. Yeah, but he, but he, but he, because he doesn't do that, you know that he can, he cannot do that if he, if he doesn't want to, if you see what I mean. Very, very good performance by him. But my front runner is Killian Murphy and Oppenheimer. 
since you mentioned Nicolas Cage, I feel like we should have put Pedro Pascal in for um, the unbearable weight of massive talent. Except I think it's a 2022 film. Is it? When did, no, but we watched it in 2023, didn't we? You watched it for your Nick Cage project, I think. Okay. Did it come out? Oh, fuck. Fucking Pedro Pascal. <laughs> yeah, so he's that film came out in 2022. Oh, man. But the memes. Yeah, I know the memes. The memes <laughs> The memes live on. So, yeah, I mean, I you know, my, my front runner here is, is, is Killian Murphy. What about you? Uh, yeah, it's obviously Killian Murphy. I mean, he's probably doing something very similar to what he did in uh, Peaky Blinders. He just inhabits a character and just carries every minute of of, of the film that he's on and just, you know, it, it it's called Oppenheimer. It's about Oppenheimer. I think this is a character that Christopher Nolan has probably identified with more than any other character that he's put up on screen, you know? And... He just he just does everything, doesn't he? And he and he it's it's, it's great screen acting because sometimes he's just doing it with his eyes, you know. There's a, there's a whole world of, of of emotion and performance and and everything else just in a in a, in a look from Killian Murphy, which is just it's absolutely consummate screen acting. Well, I think that the most impressive thing about it is is that Oppenheimer wasn't like this outlandish character. He was quite a quiet, mm-hmm. reserved guy. He was put at the front of the most important science project in the last well probably ever but of the 20th century but you don't think of Oppenheimer and think oh look at this extract look like Napoleon doing all of these outrageous things in um in in Europe and then you think you have an Africa and then you think of like but you think of best actor uh winners you think of you know there's there's no crazy there's no big likes there's no big expansive speeches I don't think does he cry no, I don't think so. I think the quality of his performance is, is things like when, you know, you, you've been hearing that kind of drumming, uh, deafening drumming sound in his ears throughout the film, and then you actually get to the point where you realise what that is. Spoiler alert, it's everybody celebrating, and he's got to make a speech to them. And he makes this speech, and it's the what he's saying out loud, which still isn't kind of that, you know, it's not... Um, you know, it, it it's not a it's not Al Pacino's team talking uh, uh, any given Sunday, but it's still pretty rousing, isn't it? When he's saying, "Oh yeah, we showed them well done. We we dropped, you know, we 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 did, you know, we dropped the bomb," but it's not just that. It's the look in his eyes when you can see the conflict while he's making that speech. It's fucking brilliant. Um, it you know, and I I feel like Nolan has kind of picked out Killian Murphy back in 2005 when he was doing Batman Begins and he just sort of kept him in the back of his mind and says one day you're not just going to be a you know a useful or handy or very good supporting performer in my film I'm going to build a film around you do you know what I mean and this was it yeah but like when I'm just thinking last year we had Brendan Fraser for The Whale that was a that was a pretty it wasn't I wouldn't call it a reserve performance it's a it's a reclusive guy but he's a He's literally a big character who, and he has some has, big, he has big, big emotional moments, doesn't he? Will Smith for King Richard, Anthony Hopkins for the Father I've not seen, Joaquin Phoenix for Joker, um, Rami Malek for playing Freddie Fucking Mercury, uh, Gary Oldman for Winston Churchill. I've not seen Manchester by the Sea, um, Leonardo DiCaprio in The Revenant, Eddie Redmayne playing Stephen Hawking. Now that's obviously not a necessarily a massive role. But you know what I mean? Like it's almost like a everyone knows Stephen Hawking. It's like a, he has a very unusual story, Stephen Hawking, mm-hmm. especially recently with the Epstein stuff. But you know these these are 
these are characters with like an interesting sort of not to say that Oppenheimer didn't have an interesting life, but he was literally just a very intelligent, brilliant scientist who was just a guy, you know? He, yeah, he that's, that's like, exactly it. He did extraordinary things, but I don't think he came yeah, across he, as an extraordinary person. Yeah, I mean, Stephen Hawking was extraordinary. Ron Woodruff, I know that, I can't say that properly. Ron Woodruff was a, a very fictionalised character, but it was a very animated performance. You've got mm-hmm. Abraham Lincoln. You know what I mean? You, you kind of get the point I'm getting, don't you? Like, yes. Yeah. It's the fact that he was able to depict uh, a man who did it, it, take, it takes a lot of skill to it, it takes a lot of skill to impress with a character like that, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. So we're giving it to Killian Murphy, yeah. Yeah, I mean, obviously. Okay, this continues to be the Oppenheimer. Don't fucking worry, because <laughs> I'm a, I've actually come. I'm actually going to nominate an entirely new category when it comes to it, but I'll let you know when. Oh, excellent! I'm looking forward to that. Okay, um, we now go to best actress. Now, some people that I liked who didn't quite make the final five, I thought Eva Green in The Three Musketeers was exceptional. She came very close to being on my list. Um, Julianne Moore in Sharper, which was a streaming film where she plays a con artist. That was very good. Um, I've got Vanessa Kirby in this category. We've already talked about her another one, so I'll have to talk about that. And Storm Reid, the young actress who um, plays the main character in Missing and carries the whole film. I thought she was very good as well. But my five, well, we'll say four, because I had Vanessa Kirby from Napoleon here, so I've got four to put towards this. I've got Margot Robbie for Babylon. Um, Some people might might nominate Margot Robbie for Barbie, but I've got Margot Robbie for Babylon. Lily Gladstone for Killers of the Flower Moon. I've got Mia Goth for Infinity Pool. And I've got Lola Campbell from Scrapper. She's like the young young girl in that British independent film. So I've got four. Who have you got? I have... Lily Gladstone, yeah, um, for Killers of Flower Moon. I had Margot Robbie for um, Barbie. for Barbie because I know I've said I understand why she's not been nominated. I think she's I don't think she's going to win, um, and she's not going to win in this category. I don't think, but she still does an excellent job of you know hitting hitting all the like the beats, um, playing literal Barbie. Um, mm-hmm. I think. <laughs> I don't know if this is done intentionally, but I think she plays the character with a sense of irony because, you know, that there's lines in the film where you know, I'm too ugly and you know I'm she's not you know, she's not pretty enough to be a Barbie anymore kind of thing that kind of vibe. I know that's not the necessarily the, the line, and then Helen Mirren says note to the the director or the filmmakers: don't cast Margot Robbie if you wanted to. Yeah, if you want to, um, Margot is not yeah, not the best choice of actor to portray this. So, I mean, I thought, I mean, just I thought she was very good. But the fact that she's got to play. She's got to embody a living doll. I mean that that takes that takes technique. I thought that you know I thought there was a brilliant piece of line delivery where she gets you know they they do a very Greta again Greta Gerwig's writing is terrific. Um, the whether you know someone calls her a fascist because Barbie is like represents and I actually agree with this. I don't think it's fascist, but I think Barbie does represent a very unhelpful female role model you know physical role model for a start but it's when she sort of tearfully says i'm not a fascist i don't control the railways and the flow of commerce you just think that you that takes skill to do the line to do that line do you know what i mean there's a lot of underrated like i know the the final line of the film is i want to see my gynecologist kind of thing Mm -hmm. and i think that's a very funny line and you have to do that line correctly and you you have and you have to sum up why it's a good line 
Do you know what I mean? Yeah, because there's so, a whole lot of story behind why that's the last line of the film, and she's got to encapsulate all of that. It's like in um, Some Like It Hot, when the final line is nobody's perfect. There's a whole reason why that's a good line, and she's yeah. got to she's got to deliver all of that, you know. And otherwise, it's just a just words, isn't it? Yeah. So, I I think she deserves a nomination here. Um, I've probably scuppered myself with people like Vanessa Kirby. Um, because we've, I've put the yeah, supporting actress that she should support. have put in lead. Yeah. Um, but I didn't have. I've. I, I just haven't seen like see all the films that have been nominated Globes for comedy, musical, and drama, and then the ones that have been nominated for the Oscar. I've just not seen those films, so it's it's hard for me. I don't. I don't want to just be like, oh yeah, let's put Katie Mulligan in for Maestro, even yeah, though I've not, not seen Maestro. I'm not doing justice. I'm just pretending, and I don't. I mean, we can put we can put any good acting performance in there that we like, mate. So it, even if it's a film you've seen that isn't nominated, that's what this is for, you know. Yeah. Um. Let me have a think. Well, while you're um, thinking, did I say Mia Goth for Infinity Pool? That's that was one of the you ones. Might have, you might not have. Yeah. So while you're thinking, I just reiterate my four in case I missed anybody off. Margot Robbie for Babylon, Lily Gladstone for Killers of the Flower Moon, Vanessa, uh, not Vanessa Kirby, we just talked about Mia Goth for Infinity Pool, and Lola Campbell for Scrapper. Now, if we add Margot Robbie for Barbie, I mean, basically that could be a short list of five performances. I've got for Bar- Babylon, you've got for Barbie. But what else have you got? What else comes to mind in you know, films that we've seen? Genuinely, not many from this year. It's, I've, I don't know if that's just a kind of damning indictment of you know the the kind of films you would consider for awards, but it has been a very male dominated year. Um, I think that's probably true. I have I have had to cast that about a little bit. You know, my shortlist includes like you know foreign language films, which don't normally get much much recognition, streaming films, and you know a very small independent film. Um, but yeah, I mean, what I mean, what did you think of the actress? It's the one, the one from, uh, the one from West Side Story who plays the lead in in Hunger Games. I mean, is that no, a nomination worthy no, performance? Not at all. No, um, I think maybe if I hadn't watched it a second time, but with my second watching, I might have gone. She would have been if she was on the list. She would have been fifth. But no, it's not. It's a fine performance. It's nowhere near the best female performance of the year or top five. Okay. Personally, I think, but I don't think it's necessarily her fault. I think that struggles, like like I mentioned in um, the previous episodes, I think it was the W Monthly. Yeah, I said that on the second watching, I can understand why a lot of people found a lot of the singing cringy, and she does a lot of the singing in it. Yeah, but that's to do with sticking true to the source material. Maybe if they hadn't done that, there could have been potential for her to develop a character more. But no, I wouldn't. I wouldn't put that as the best. Okay. Um, female performance. There. Still a fine film and a, a solid performance, but yeah. So at, at present, if we say it's best performance by a leading actress, we have five on the shortlist. We just have two nominations for Margot Robbie. You happy with that? I'm fine with that. Um, okay. I mean, who, who's who's standing out for you here? It's Lily Gladstone. Yeah. Look, yeah, I mean, I, I think her performance was great. And I think it's, it, it's also a, a tribute to her that when you do have... It would have been very easy for a character like her to come across as just very passive, wouldn't it? And there would be a lot of problems with that when you say, look, we once again, we've portrayed Native Americans as just passive victims. And she's actually, she manages to do a lot more than that with her performance and with the character. And I think she's a huge amount of credit. I'd like to die on a small hill for Margot Robbie in Babylon before we close the discussion on this, because I thought she was fucking extraordinary in Babylon. I thought she was absolutely amazing. She's an absolute force of nature in the way that she plays the character. She 
she just walks around not giving a fuck. And yet there are times when her character is genuinely in fear for her life and she, she portrays that. There's there's times when she feels like she's been made to feel very small, you know, but she's just this, she's just this fighter. She's profane. She's just, you know, just decided to walk in and live life her own way, let it all hang out no matter how much people are outraged. And she just absolutely embodies the don't give a fuck attitude of that film. And then at the end when her character just fucking saunters, saunters off screen, and you find out later what happened to her, no spoilers, you just think, fucking hell. I mean, honestly, I was really genuinely kind of wildly impressed. I thought she was great in Barbie. I thought she was absolutely phenomenal in, in Babylon. But I think we can achieve a consensus of saying Lily Gad- Gladstone wins Best Actress for Killers of the Flower Moon. Yeah? Yeah, I'm fine with that. Let's do that. Okay, finally someone other than Oppenheimer <laughs> wins an award. Yeah. Right, we're going to come back and do best director and best picture at towards the end because that's sort of like they're like the showpiece awards, I think. And I wanted to go off and do a few other ones here. Um, have I got? I've somehow managed to miss film editing off this. I'm not sure I'm qualified enough to talk about editing. I just wanted to very briefly mention then. I thought the editing of Oppenheimer was absolutely exceptional. Um, and yeah. I want to give the give a shout out to the name. I don't think we're probably in a position to kind of, maybe next year, maybe next year. I, mean, I, I was considering that we were going to do a film editing, but we do do a few different ones. But let me just give a shout out on this. If there's anyone else you'd like to shout out for their editing this, this uh, year. But Jennifer Lane, I hope I'm pronouncing that right. Um, that film, Oppenheimer is a good film. Right. If if anyone other than Nolan is doing it and they do a nice job of telling the story of this driven man in the the, the the Manhattan Project, it's it's a great film because Nolan gives it the full Nolan treatment, but it only works as well as it works because of the score, yeah, and the editing, which is absolutely fucking incredible. And I and I noticed how important editing is when I was watching Amadeus recently, because there were brilliant scenes where like one door slams in one scene, and that's the opening or slamming of the door that somebody walks through in, in, in the next scene and editing it just so perfectly and timing your scenes as perfectly as that is so important. But when you've got these three different timelines and everything is happening at the same time in Oppenheimer's head when he's remembering what's going on and what's happened to him, without her editing, that film is not, you know, isn't fucking sweeping the board at award ceremonies. So I just wanted to give her a shout out, but we don't have film editing as a as a category. I don't know if you wanted to kind of say any more on that one, mate. I mean, if we did, I would probably give it to Oppenheimer. So maybe it's best we don't. In yeah. case we so, so, sh- so sh- giving awards to Oppenheimer. So shout out for Jennifer Lane for a, for a film editing, and we might consider film editing as a category for next time. Um, let Let's do. I'm going to do two more, which are kind of ones you'd expect to see on awards, and then there's a couple of kind of uh, uh, other ones that we tend to throw in, and then so you can talk about the new category you want to do in a minute, mate. Um, I've got next best animated feature. Spider-Man across the Spider-Verse. Now, I, you. I have I have three nominations for this. One was Nimona, because I thought that was a really good film. And I thought they did a number of things very well. It's not... It's it's all a little bit in a minor key, because they had to do it with less money than you, than you normally get here. 
Um, I also wanted to give a shout out to um, the Super Mario Brothers film. Because yep. I, I did think they did a terrific film. And that's what you want. Your big, like, the big animated film that everyone's going to go and see needs to be that, if you see what I mean. I didn't think Super Mario Brothers gave me, like, a, a huge, like, powerful emotional feeling the way, like, a great Pixar would. But what I do think is, is that when someone spends a large amount of money, and it's not as expensive as a Disney film, but it's a large amount of money on a big, bright, loud, exciting animated film that, that everyone's going to take their kids to see. And it was the biggest film of the year apart from Barbie, right? That's what you want it to be. It really was such a nicely judged, well-made film. I did want to give that a shout out. I've got Across the Spider-Verse in my, in my nominations. I've also got The Boy and the Heron, which I know you haven't seen. Because um, I went to see that recently, although I didn't see it in 2023. It's a film that was released in 2023, just before the end of the year. And I watched it just after the end of the year. And... I've 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 been talking a lot about the films that I'm giving awards to for a lot of the times for like the effect they have on me and how that how they make me film. It's a big part of why you know the, where I'm going to go with with Best Picture. And at the end of the Boy and the Heron, as the credits started to roll, I, I just found myself in tears. And it's been a couple of the weeks, and I'm still not 100% sure why, because there's so many different things and ideas going on in that film, and I'm not sure which one of them actually is the one that put me over the edge. But The Boy and the Heron was an incredibly beautiful film that had a profound emotional effect on me. And I'm still working through the, the things that it's kind of made me think and feel and, 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 and decide. Having said that, you know, you, your opportunity now is to kind of fight for Spider-Man across the Spider-Verse. And, you know, because I'm, I'm, I'm ready to be persuaded. So I thought it was a, a kind of weak year for animated films. I think Pixar not releasing anything good mm-hmm. um, often means that the... It's good in a way because it gives opportunities for films like Nimona to yeah. kind of get the you know recognition, but because Elemental was terrible, it, Pixar mean like kind of meant that Pixar wasn't a shoe in. Um, but yeah, um, Spider Man Across Spider Verse was brilliant. It's uh, they managed to carry the momentum of the uh, this the the first film and then go yeah we can do another really good story after that so you know yeah i mean obviously the the things that that commend spider-man across the spider-verse that, that it's like no other film in the way that the different animations have to coexist side by side and it's very clever that's not easy to do um but it's also the way that you know there are exciting scenes like when they're going up that kind of is it some sort of railway to the into the sky or something? It's like some that that train that just goes directly up into orbit, and they're all chasing uh, miles, and it's incredibly exciting. It feels like it genuinely feels the way that it's animated that everything's moving at ten thousand miles an hour, but all the way through, you never forget the emotional stakes of what's going on. It, it was really brilliantly done, and you haven't seen the boy in the heron, and and, and it is a. I'm fr- frankly still processing what I think of that film. Um, I'm I'm happy to go here with your with your um, decision on Spider Man Across the Spider Verse. I think it, it has to be. I think just the story it tells, the amount of the amount of Spider Men that it you know includes in the film and Spider Women with uh, Gwen Stacy. I think it's mm-hmm. just it's brilliant. It's just it's so good um, that when they're all chasing Miles, that sequence is probably one of the best animated sequences ever produced mm-hmm. um 
and it's it's got a very uh, Spider-Man's a very emotional story and I think it's got as much emotion as any of the Spider-Man films including you know mm-hmm. um No Way Home and um you, you know, like all of these films it's just it's superb but you know Spider-Man obviously has had Uncle Ben die you know several times and it it feels very emotional every time so and it's the only it's the only film series that's actually really made the whole multiverse multiverse thing properly work, isn't it? Yeah, no way, no way home dabbled in it. That's you know the kind of main story of it, but it, it is only two other Spider Men and a few villain. And and and, and, re- and really, the stakes are for Tom Holland's character's world. Do you know what I mean? Whereas in these in these in these other multiverse films, you're meant to care about more than one universe at a time. Yeah. And and across the the Spider Verse ones are the only ones that really pull that off. Um, so yeah, okay. Best animated feature goes to Spider Man Across the Spider Verse. Um, basically, if if Oppenheimer isn't in the shortlist, <laughs> then it doesn't win. <laughs> okay, another yeah, another. So another one before we do our sort of our slightly slightly different, less you know less well familiar awards categories because we try, try and do some things that aren't just what you get out the other award shows one more of those and we're going to go off to on one of our little tangents this is a new one uh best visual effects we, we we didn't award this the previous two years but i thought given how important visual effects are to success of certainly certain types of films and given the discussion on visual effects how some of the visual effects artists have been treated i think i i wanted to kind of you know recognize them for what that's worth um a few different ones, you know, uh, Guardians of the Galaxy 3 was on my long list but didn't make the short list. Uh, Sisu was on my um, long list but didn't make the short list. I thought it was very... I do like it when a film that's not got like a... You know, it's on quite a small budget, still manages to have some really... It's obviously using effects and does it well. I think that deserves some credit. Yeah. I was talking and thinking of visual effects for Barbie but then wasn't sure how much of that was visual effects and how much of it was just production design and cinematography. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So so that so that dropped off for me. So I've got five nominations here. Um Napoleon, Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part One, Oppenheimer, Dream Scenario, and John Wick Chapter Four. Just because, you know, the visual effects, you know, play a large part in John Wick and yet it does make it seamless into into the film. I thought the battle scenes in Napoleon were extraordinary. And I thought Napoleon was another example of Ridley Scott, whatever you think of the film doing combining visual effects and live action so seamlessly um that you almost forget they're there um but and, and obviously mission impossible dead reckoning part one although obviously this the main story is always tom cruise is doing those stunts for real it still takes a huge amount of special effects of the highest standard to do one of those films so that's that's why i've got those on there um so what what, what are your what are your nominations i went for mission impossible dead reckoning um, yeah. napoleon um, Guardians of the Galaxy 3. Yeah. Um, what else did I go for? Let me get my list up. Um, I, I toyed with the idea of Oppenheimer, but it does only have two kind of sequences. Mm. And that's... It's quite a hard one to nominate for when it doesn't... When it is mostly a story-based... Yeah, I know what you mean. It's been nominated for visual effects at the, at the Oscars, hasn't it? Um... I know it hasn't. Hasn't it? No, that's the creator Godzilla minus one, Napoleon Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning, and Guardians of the Galaxy three. Oh, I've complete. I've completely miss miss missed that. I do apologize. Um, 
but yeah, I I was I was struggling. I because the Marvel films all looked terrible this year. Mm. It was just those three that I really wanted to kind of give. What well, I can. To. Let's. I mean, John Wick Chapter Four. While I do think it takes good visual effects to do what they did, I, I think thinking about it, I do think obviously visual effects are more present in Guardians Three. Um, so I'd be happy to make to drop John Wick Four and add Guardians Three in, or should I drop Oppenheimer? Given that that's not really, I would probably drop Oppenheimer. Oppenheimer drops out. The first category well, no. that yeah that, that Oppenheimer. <laughs> because getting you know, a look in. The, my reason for that is is that the visual effects sequences are obviously the the bomb dropping mm-hmm. um and the kind of sequences where he's sat in the cockpit and he sees like the missiles launching Drop, dropping out of the sky and it, yeah, it's and there's not thing. i mean other than that the sp- visual effects would have been maybe and some so t- touch ups touch ups here and there but you're right mainly it's not a visual effects film and C for the the bomb apparently that was just lots of close ups of explosions that they did for real so it's not even like a it's not even like they've done proper like CGI. They've like, do you know what I mean? Like when I think of like visual effects, you want to think of a film that's used CGI, and not necessarily just CGI. Like practical effects can be important as well. And I think there's a, a, some of that in um, Napoleon, for example, on top of CGI. But mm-hmm. when you've only got two sequences and one of them's mostly just kind of filming an explosion from different angles and then kind of scaling up or whatever they did, I I don't think it can get a nomination. To be quite honest. Okay, well, let's drop Oppenheimer out, out and put Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 in. Um, I thought that was a beautiful film, to be honest. But Guardians of the Galaxy 3? Yeah. Yeah. I wanted to give a shout-out to Dream Scenario because that had some very clever visual effects in it because obviously there's a lot of dream sequences. And there are things like, you know, people suddenly becoming weightless or characters changing. And I thought that was very beautifully done and not on a very big budget. So I I did want to give that a shout out. But where where are you leaning on visual effects here? Uh, Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning was my front runner, closely followed by um, Gardens of the Galaxy 3. Yeah, I mean, I would... I do commend Napoleon because the thing, you know, the visual effects on things like the Battle of Austerlitz were like horses and men are falling through the ice. The fact that when you look at all the things that he's done there, the the, the you know the revolution execution scenes, the battle scenes, uh, conjuring up um, all of these period settings, um, uh, naval battles where ships are getting destroyed. There's, there's some fantastic stuff in there. I probably, I'm probably leaning towards Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning because while there's this whole, you know, when Tom Cruise jumps off that cliff, um, that's him really jumping off. But bear in mind, he jumps off that cliff in fucking Derbyshire or something or wherever they're doing that. And he's, they make it look like it's Switzerland. So there's actually so much in the way of visual effects. And he's, you know, the bad guy's there and he's not there. You know, that there's so... It, 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 it's really living living with visual effects in every scene, but it's it, it seems real every 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 second of it. Yeah. So I mean that the, the argument for for Guardians is as you say, it's a beautifully realized world that could not be done without visual effects. There's a very, it's a very visual effects heavy film, but in a good way. It looks good. It's well designed. It's not like you know the opposite of this is like Ant Man, which is a load of gloopy. Like oh, that was terrible. Purple, wasn't it? It was purple just... and purple and, and orange colours just just wobbling across the screen. It's like a two hundred million dollar screensaver. You know, Guardians of the <laughs> Galaxy is a really, really beautifully realised film with a huge amount of special effects. So, I mean, where where are you leaning between those two? Who who who, 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 do, you want to, who do you want to fight for? 
I think they're both brilliant. I was leaning towards Mission Impossible, but the more I think about Guardians of the Galaxy, I think that was just... It was stunning. It was. It didn't look unpolished like the rest of the Marvel films, and it's obviously creating loads of different, um, you know, planets and you know, even like the kind of alternative version of Earth that it kind of. It looks like the seventies, but they're all like Who's from Whoville. Yeah. Yeah. If I could give a joint award, I would. So we can we I can give a joint award. It's our. I would give it to those two because I think they both did brilliant things and different things. They were both let's, trying. Let's make it a joint. Mission award. Impossible is a Mission Impossible film, and Guardians of the Galaxy is a you know a Be- kind of superhero slash you know sci-fi whatever. Before before we finally decide, I would like you to cast your mind back to last year when we were unable to separate two nominees in a category in the cinematography. Oh, shit, the boys are asleep, but I'll get uh, I'll get treats for them. Um. Shall we continue that new tradition and get the dogs to select a winner? Right, I think. Yep, I will go and get. Boys, do you want a treat? For for those of us uh, not aware, we awarded uh, uh, the cinematography award between two nominees we couldn't choose by getting uh, James's dogs, Obi and Mac, to choose uh, a treat from from James's hands, and whichever one they go for is the winner. And we're going to do that again now because we can't pick between um, Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1 and Guardians 3 for best visual effects. So James, talk me through um, how the dog's going to select this award. So I've got I've got two um, Lily's Kitchen mini beef burgers, shout out Lily's Kitchen. Um, the best natural treats for your dog around. This isn't, we're not sponsored, but we'd love to be sponsored by Lily's Kitchen. Um, Call us if you want. Yep. And I've I've taken two of the beef burgers, but they're quite big, so I've split them in half. So there's half a treat. There's two halves in each hand, so one full burger for each dog. Um, and basically, Mac is drooling all over my toes right now. Um, <laughs> and basically, we, we pick a film for each hand. Whatever hand the dogs go for first is the is the recipient of the award. That's yeah, and, and, and Mac is a Labrador Golden Retriever mix, so waiting this long for food is driving him crazy, no doubt. Yeah, he's he's wiggling his arse like it's about to fall off. Okay. Obi is looking at me like if I don't give him a treat in the next eight seconds, he will bite my throat out in my sleep. Okay, um, so, okay, take take it away. Let the let the boys choose the winner. Right, I'm going to move over, uh, just so it's fair, so they're not look closer to one hand. I'm going to make it as fair as possible. So did we pick a... Obi, okay, calm down now. Uh, pick a film for each hand, quick, quick, quick. Left hand, Mission Impossible, right hand, Guardians 3. Cool, right. <laughs> Boys, sit. So Obi has gone for the left hand, and Mac has gone for the right hand. <laughs> <laughs> oh, does that mean we're going to have to run it? We're going to have to run the process again. No, because they, they can't get more than more treats. Uh, what we'll do is, so because Mac, Mac chose the right hand and Obi chose the left hand, I'm going to try and get them to do a trick. Whoever does the trick first um, is okay. Is, is the deciding vote. So left hand was... Left hand was Mission Impossible, right hand was Guardians so 3. So Obi. And then right hand was uh, Guardians of the Galaxy. Right, so high five. High five. It goes to the left hand. Obi was first. So Mission Impossible wins. Good boys. Good boys. Imagine, you know, spending, you know, maybe upwards of a year doing all the special effects for Guardians of the Galaxy only for the award to be decided by a fucking Spaniel. <laughs> I mean, obviously they care less about that happening on our award show than on the Oscars, but what, imagine if that was, if they actually did that up on stage with the Oscars. That would be fucking 
amazing. So these are the kinds of innovations you get on our award shows that you don't get anywhere else where dogs choose the winner. That's not scripted, by the way. It wasn't scripted last year. It just naturally evolved that it, getting the dogs to choose. Um, but we will try and keep that in our... Uh, when Next year, when we do the fourth annual awards, we will try and keep that in. So congratulations to everybody. It's usually huge, huge teams of people who worked on the visual effects for Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1. Uh, James's dog chose you. Okay, and we've done that. So I've got some, like, we've got other ones like Worst Decision. We do Worst Accent and other stuff like that. You said you had a new category you wanted to add in, mate. Why don't you talk me through it? Well, I want to add it in when it comes to the original songs. So you want, well, I don't think we've got original songs on our, um... Well, we fucking do now. Okay, original songs. So, uh, because there were two amazing songs this year, and I want Barbie and this other film to get recognition, um... I've decided that I want best original song to go to I'm Just Ken for a Barbie mm -hmm. because I feel like that gives it the it gets Barbie an award that it deserves because it was the best song of the year. I don't know why they've nominated the Billie Eilish one. I know they why they have because it's got the mm -hmm. the montage sequence in the middle. Um and I think I'm Just Ken kind of encapsulates what that film is. It's daft. Yeah. Mark Ronson jokingly wrote that song for Greta Gerwig and she ended up loving it. Mm -hmm. And it became probably the most iconic song of the year it was in every single meme it was just it got parodied on a saturday night live which was also a hilarious song in itself i think that gives barbie the recognition that it deserves um and then i wanted to do best song in an animated feature so peaches from the super mario brothers film could get recognition. It's not even been fucking nominated at the Oscars, which is a disgrace because you could have had Jack Black dressed as Bowser performing on stage at the most prestigious uh, awards event in Hollywood. And which, which would which would cast back to when uh, Blame Canada from the South Park film was nominated for uh, for best song, and yep. Robin Robin Williams performed it in a dress on Oscar night. Yep, like fucking laugh at yourselves, uh, the Academy, because they're they really missed an opportunity there but Peaches should have definitely been nominated um, and I, I think it was worthy of best song but you can't give it to two and I'm not fucking trying to get the dogs to decide again okay so, well, well let's just have two categories best song from a live action film goes to I'm Just Ken from Barbie um, and best song in an animated film goes to Peaches by Jack Black from the Super Mario movie lovely done brilliant I feel like gets the recognition that that both those films deserve because Super Mario Brothers wasn't the best animated film of the year, but it had very good moments, and that was the best moment of the the film. So, very good. Thank you very much for adding that, mate. Always, always, always adding value. Now, the next award that we've got on our list, where, where we go off the the normal map, um, is film we wished we'd seen. Do you have a film that everyone's been talking about all year? Bearing in mind that last last time the film you wish you'd seen was something you ended up not liking very much when you saw it, but that that's that doesn't matter. It's a film that's been talked up a lot. The first year we we gave it to to, to Pig, I think, and last year you gave it to um, uh, I gave it to RRR and you gave it to um, uh, Everything Everywhere All at Once. Is there a film that's come through? Um, that everyone talked about, you didn't get around to seeing it, and you feel like you've missed out. Um, 
film that everyone... Shall I, shall I, shall I talk through... I mean, because I've, I've, I've walked this through and, and came up with some... Why don't I talk about mine and give you a chance to think about yours, yeah? Um, I had Anatomy of a Fool because everyone's, like, raved about it and it's a very fascinating idea. It's the idea that a man falls from a window and dies and then they're investigating why he died and all sorts of things come out this is you know his wife is suspected and and it the way it was described just sounds really interesting i do want to see that past lives also got talked about and again it's one that i would have liked to have seen but you just can't go and see everything and it's not yet available on 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 any subscription streaming subscription i already have so i'm i'm just going to have to wait that's where a woman who grew up in south korea as a girl or i think as a young woman as well she had a, a, a young, a teenage sweetheart there. She moved to America years later. She's very happily married, built a life for herself in America. But then her her childhood sweetheart or her teenage school, you know, high school sweetheart type guy turns up and, and her old life and a new life collide. And apparently it's an absolutely beautiful film. And the third one is Polite Society, which was sort of... Build has been like the British Indian version of everything everywhere all at once, but I think it's different to that. Basically, uh, is a, a British pa- sorry British Pakistani British Pakistani teenager. She aspires to be a movie stunt performer. Um, she loves martial arts training. Um, her idol is Eunice Huthart. It probably means nothing to you, but she was that little Scouse woman who was really tough and cool on the old version of Gladiators and became a stunt performer in the films. And her daughter's about uh, sorry her, her elder sister's about to become a uh, go into an arranged marriage and she decides to do something about it and she does something about it with martial arts and I thought that sounds so bonkers that I would like to see that but again I've just not got around to watching it so that's my shortlist what about you does has that given you some thought as to the films that came out last year or that, that you wish you'd seen or that, that people you know went on about um I think I would have liked to have seen poor things because it is getting a lot of attention I don't know if it's come out here yet, um, but if it had come out last year and I was able to watch it, I would have given that a watch just because it's getting a lot of praise. I like Yorgos Lanthimos and um, Emma Stone. Um, it's a technically not a 2023 film, but we can put it on um, for your, your nomination, Poor Things. Yeah, either that or Saltburn, because everyone's talking about that at my work and saying, oh yeah, you need to get it watched, get it watched, and... I don't know whether I want to because of the way it's. Uh... Uh, yeah, why don't we put Saltburn down because that film came out last year and Poor Things is, I think, going to be in the the awards discussion for next for for this coming year. Um, and I think out of mine, I think I'm going to say, I'm going to I'm going to go British and say Polite Society. So we usually have one each. So my nomination is Polite Society. Your nomination could be Saltburn because Poor Things isn't a 2023 film, uh, and that's our award for film we wish we'd seen. Well done, then. Um, the next one's a bit of a, I, I think it helps with the thing that you've said about how much screen time is required for a supporting performance. Um, because our next one is best cameo. That's where someone's not really been in the film long enough to kind of be in contention for supporting actor, but they, they've really kind of livened up the film on the time that they're on. And I've got some nominations here, which is Toby Maguire, uh, in Babylon, Rupert Everett in Napoleon as the Duke of Wellington. Kate McKinnon as, like, screwed-up, felt-tip-pen-faced Barbie. Um, Aubrey Plaza in Operation Fortune Rouge de Guerre. And Toby Jones in Tetris. Those uh, those were the cameos that caught my eye. Any sort of performances... Put it this way, who, who just missed out on support and active for you because maybe they weren't in the film quite enough? 
that you might want to put here, mate? Hmm. It's an interesting one. Um, I think you've covered pretty much all of the main ones. Um, I think it would have to be someone from Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse, just because there was that many Spider-Men mm-hmm. um, in it. But it's picking one out of the 70 that end up showing up. Yeah. Um, I, th- I quite liked... Um, it's hard to pick. I quite like Donald Glover's kind of silly kind of cameo where he's just... It's live. It's like actual Donald Glover just sat in an animated world. I thought that was funny. Mm-hmm. I quite like the T-Rex from Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse. I thought that was that was quite funny. So I, I'm, I'm tempted to pick that one. Um, as daft as it is, or maybe um, ah, you know what? I'm gonna go for the T Rex from Spider Man Across the Spider Verse. So you you want to put that in as your nomination? Okay, I I'm I'm gonna drop out Aubrey Plaza and Operation Fortune because while she's very good, that film doesn't work, and I felt a little bit like Aubrey Plaza was going right. I better do something here. Do you know what I mean? Because this film's dying, so I'm gonna give it my you know my Aubrey Plaza persona and much as I like that it's like it was kind of in a losing cause whereas all these other ones did really well so I mean are you are you going to die on a hill for Spider T-Rex or do you no, feel it like it doesn't need to win but that would probably be my nomination okay what uh, what do you think would win from these from these nominees hmm now you haven't so seen to- you haven't seen Toby Maguire in Babylon but he plays this incredibly fell the the way Babylon plays out and I think some people liked this, some people didn't, is that, you know, you know, in Boogie Nights where things start to go a bit tits up and they go to Alfred Molina's house to try and rob him so they can, you know, pay off their cocaine debts and it all goes horribly wrong. Tobey Maguire is the main character in that version of that. And then he's this horrible, feral creature who takes them to essentially an organized house with like people biting the heads off rats and kind of underground fights. And he's just the embodiment of everything that's grim and horrible in the world. And he's just so, he's so much fun and yet so despicable. Got Rupert Everett as the Duke of Wellington in Napoleon, who I just absolutely love. He's just like, I hate Napoleon, but I want to beat him because he's a cunt, basically. <laughs> it's just the way he played him. Just taking great pleasure in, in like knocking Napoleon off his perch. And Kate McKinnon in Barbie. Um, the other one was Toby Jones in Tetris, which is another one I don't think you've seen. But Kate McKinnon in Barbie, I, I did like because she was just this like um, the the one thing that I think they could have explored more in Barbie was the idea that um, Barbie dolls change the way they're played with by the kids and the kids' imagination. And because she's she's probably the one that they do the most of that with because she's got felt tip all over her face and her hair's funny because she's been you know she's had her hair cut and she's been painted. And I thought. I really liked her. I thought she was a really, really, really enjoyable. I also enjoyed the T Rex, the Spider T Rex. So, but I mean, that, those I think are our nominations. If you if you had to pick one, what would you jump on? I'll go for Kate McKinnon. Kate McKinnon in Barbie, because she does actually have quite a, a bearing on the story as well, doesn't she? She's a lot of fun in that. Okay, well done, Kate McKinnon. Um, could have said some of the cameos in Oppenheimer, but there's so much going on in that film already that uh, that you know. That doesn't really, you know, they don't they don't need another award, do they? They're doing ever so well. Um, now it comes to worst film, um, and th- th- these films are a combination of incompetence and just a- a- offensiveness, I think, in the way that they're done. But my nominations for worst film are The Creator, Ant Man and the Wasp: Quantumania, uh, Spy Kids: Armageddon, and Ghosted. 
Have you got any nominations for worst film from the ones you've seen? Um. What what films do you what films do you really hate this year? I tried watching Ant Man and the Wasp, so it might have to be that. Um. Didn't like Thor: Love and Thunder. That was twenty twenty three, wasn't it? I can't remember. Was at the end of twenty twenty two, and I watched it in twenty three. Um. Uh, I think it'd have to be something Marvel, you know? Yeah, Thor Love and Thunder is 2022. Yeah, I mean, of mine, I mean, the creator, the creator objectively isn't as bad a film as that man and the Wasp, but, you know, it makes my shortlist because it really did fucking make me angry. Spy Kids Armageddon is just very, very poorly done, and it was very sad to see Robert Rodriguez and his probably one of his best earlier films, Spy Kids, reduced to the level of a, like a, I don't know, a bad CBBS parody. And Ghosted, is if you spend $200 million on a yet another in one ear out the other streaming film that just waits the, wastes the talents of Chris Evans and Anna Diarmas on just yet another completely run-of-the-mill, forgettable, you know, just bo- it ends up being very boring. But, I mean, Ant-Man of the Wasp Quantumania, I despise that film from beginning to end. And by the, by, by the end of the film, I was absolutely raging with how shit it was. And also for spending all that money on visual effects and yet the visual effects people have been underpaid and treated so badly and all of that shit going to think, fuck you. Do you know what I mean? No wonder the, no wonder Marvel films are failing when they, you know, the writers have to go on strike to get anything decent and the visual effects people say, so without, without writing and visual effects, you haven't even got like a, a fucking Marvel franchise. So that film just offended me in, in all, all the ways that a film possibly can. So I'm happy to not make that the worst film and give it the award for worst film. Are you with me? Yeah, I, I would agree. Now, this is a slightly different one. It's, you know, this can, this can have different things in it, but biggest disappointment is where a film sort of just fell short of, what, of, of your high hopes. My nominations are Renfield, The Creator, Heart of Stone and Marlowe. They were all films that I were hoping were going to be a lot better than they were. What 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 would you put in this category? And uh, Napoleon. Napoleon goes there for you. Yeah, it's my... uh, of the films that I really wanted to see and had high hopes of. I liked Killers of the Flower Moon and Oppenheimer and Barbie and all these kind of films, and I had high expectations of them because of what everyone was saying. But, um, yeah. Napoleon and I had such high hopes because I liked The Last Duel. It was another story from, you know, a historical period in France. Um, I just, it really let me down with just the scale, the lack of imagination, just, you know, everything, man. It was just... So, I mean, obviously, I, I wasn't disappointed by Napoleon. I actually really loved the film and I actually... You know, put it in in you know my one of my top ten really Scott films of all time. I really loved it, but you know I I understand your disappointment and I you know I understand why it, it it didn't work for you and it's perhaps part of the story of the film that so many people have been disappointed with it. If you see what I mean, and I guess I I've got a level of disappointment that it hasn't landed the way I hoped it would with everybody. I mean, it's been almost completely passed over for nominations. So I, I can go with that for biggest disappointment because while I did like the film, I think it is the story of the film that a lot of people didn't get what they were wanting. And it's kind of like part of the legend of trying to make films about Napoleon, that that's what happens. Do you see what I mean? Yeah. No, so, I, 
it was it just didn't have enough battle sequences. It had a lot of Napoleon being a bit of a simp. Thought Joaquin Phoenix was very underwhelming as Napoleon. Um, yeah, just could have been done so much better. Yeah, I, th- I think on the basis that, that that's that's going to be like how Napoleon is remembered. Part of how how everyone remembers it is even though a lot of people did like it, a lot of people didn't and didn't get what they were expecting from a Napoleon film. I, I can go with that with just with my, you know, my, my, the fact that I did actually love the film is noted, but biggest disappointment goes to Napoleon. Um, and there we go. The next one is worst acting performance. Um, I've got some nominations here. Billy Magnuson, the villain in Spy Kids Armageddon. Chris Evans basically sleepwalks and is terribly miscast in Ghosted. He's meant to be this ordinary kind of hopeless guy who who isn't much use on a, an action. For, and he doesn't get it across at all. Really piss poor. I've got Bill Murray for Quantumania because it's just such a lazy fucking. Oh yeah, let's let's try and do what like Jeff Goldblum did in in the Thor film and just get another funny star. And it's just so he's phoning it in. Gal Gadot in Heart of Stone. Uh, I think she was a letdown. This was her chance to sort of build her own action franchise and she ended up being just really bland. And Liam Neeson in Marlowe, I was just... It's not really his fault because he shouldn't be doing that film when he's 70. He should be doing it when he's 50. But nonetheless, it was... I, I You know, I, I was hoping for a much better Philip Marlowe film that I got and that does rest on his performance. But who, who whose acting was the worst for you? Whose acting was the worst? You never like to say that, but what I will say is that I didn't see a lot of terrible films mm-hmm. this year. Um, uh, me, me either. I mean, I had to cast around a little bit for this. Yeah. I'm trying to think of a performance where I was left kind of wanting more. Um, So I feel, I feel harsh giving it to Joaquin Phoenix. But if I did give it to him, it would be with kind of like an asterisk saying, look, it wasn't terrible, but it mm-hmm. wasn't what I wanted or what I was expecting. Mm-hmm. I mean, I can add him to the nominees if you like. Yeah, I don't think he wins because there were obviously much worse performances this year, but from my own personal kind of preference, I would have much rather a stronger performance. Um, in which case, what I'm going to take off is Billy Magnuson in Spy Kids Armageddon because I, I I get the feeling that he gave the director exactly what he wanted with his performance. Do you know what I mean? And I think the blame rests with Robert Rodriguez because I think he just wanted a a, a, a ridiculous the kind of villain that you get in like cheapo Disney kids films. You know, you know, like like Disney Channel kids films. You know, rather than yeah. like a yeah. And I so I'll drop him off. If if I if I was gonna fight if I was gonna die on a hill for something here it would be um, uh, Bill Murray in Quantumania. I just thought it just felt like he, he embodied the contempt that everyone involved in that film had for its audience and for the art of filmmaking generally. So if I was gonna fight, I would say Bill Murray for Quantumania because I just fucked that film and fuck people just turning up and going oh yeah I'll just kind of wave my hands and think this is this is enough for a paying audience. So I I, I would nominate him. Fine. Let's do it. Worst acting performance goes to Bill Murray. You know, mean a mean spirited award, but I think it fucking the film deserves it. I didn't have a lot for worst accent. I mean, you know, the previous, the first time we did this, Jared Leto did that nonsense with um, uh, his Super Mario Brothers accent in uh, in House of Gucci, and last year there was 
Russell Crowe's abomination in Thor Love and Thunder. This year, I didn't have a lot. I only really have one for this. Liam Neeson in Marlowe. It's like, at least fucking try and do an American accent, you know? He doesn't even bother. He's not even trying. So that's my only nomination for worst accent. Have you got a worst accent in mind or? Worst accent? Um, not really, no. I didn't think there were any particularly bad accents, but... Um, I mean, one option is to just not have the award this year because, you know, Liam Neeson lazily not bothering to do an American accent doesn't quite compare to what Russell Crowe did to offend both Italian and Greek people at the same time in, in one performance <laughs> in the previous year. I mean, he does the same accent in The Pope's Exorcist, so if you want to do that, then I'm fine with that. Uh, okay. Let's do that. Um, and Maybe he'll start to get the message. People don't like those awful kind of full Mediterranean accents that he insists on doing. Yeah. I mean, at least Adam Driver, you know, people, some, some people disagree with Adam Driver doing an Italian accent, but at least it's an Italian accent. Okay, so that's um, that's some of our sort of uh, slightly off the beaten path. We now come to the big ones. Um, we subscribe to auteur theory, uh, you know, with qualifications on this podcast. So it's very important to to honour the director. Our, our next uh, so third to last award is best director. Um, my nomination, <laughs> yeah. So so I'll, I'll mention my other nominations, although I, I do think we've got a strong one here. Is Ridley Scott for Napoleon. With all the things that you've said about it, I do think what Ridley Scott, the achievement Ridley Scott did, I mean, he filmed that in four months. It's fucking incredible what he achieved as a director, even though a lot of people didn't like the choices that he made. The choices he made that people don't like, I think, are creative. I still think he did an absolutely exceptional job mounting those battles. Christopher Nolan for Oppenheimer, obviously. Greta Gerwig for Barbie. And I do want to shout out Greta Gerwig on that. It says, that film is a three out of 10 straight to video stocking filler, like you said, without Greta Gerwig co-writing it as well as she did and directing it as well as she did. How many perfect scenes are there in that film? It's And, and Barbie was nowhere near getting a nomination for Best Picture for me. I, I thought the film was good. I thought it was a solid seven out of 10 film, but it's, it's, it's elevated to that level by its director. Greta Gerwig did a fucking exceptional job directing that film and I think it's absolutely you know I think it's scandalous that she's not had a nomination for best director at the Oscars um even though I, I you know I'm probably not going to die in a hill for actually winning this award but I think how many films depended on its direction as much as Barbie depended on Greta Gerwig it, it's it's so important and she did such a good job and, and I think she's she's going to thumb her nose at the academy for this because she's just made a million a billion and a half dollars and she's probably going to get a huge amount of creative freedom to do whatever she wants next so it's the same way that, you know, maybe her not winning for Barbie is like like Nolan not getting credit for The Dark Knight, do you know what I mean? Because films like that don't get recognition, but I think she deserves some recognition. I've also got Damien Chazelle for Babylon, because I do think, you know, I, I remember my, um, uh, you know, my review of this for the pod, every film should have this much passion. Every film should fucking, you know, go for it like this. If you believe in what you're doing, fucking go for it the way Damien Chazelle does. And and Christopher McQuarrie for Mission Impossible: Dead Reckoning Part One because 
you know, I remember, was it last year or the year before? I think it was last year. We gave it to the director of Spider-Man No Way Home in recognition of films like that are hard to do. It's hard to do a blockbuster film as well as that. Do you know what I mean? Um, so who, who are your nominations, mate? Obviously, Best Nolan Director, for Oppenheimer. Nolan for Oppenheimer. Martin Scorsese for Killers of the Flower Moon. Uh-huh. Uh, Greta Gerwig for Barbie. Um, I thought Christopher McQuarrie for Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning because I really enjoyed that film. Mm-hmm. And then a fifth one I was struggling. Um, so I went with James Gunn for Guardians of the Galaxy 3. Sure. So I haven't got Scorsese on my list and my... My reservation on that is that I did think the pacing of Killers of the Flower Moon was uh, was slightly off. Um, saying that, I do think there were things he did that were exceptional, and I, I I realized that if if Ridley Scott delivers a film that you know that we consider that we've given the award for you know biggest disappointment, you know uh, you know I've you know, I'll die on a small hill for Ridley Scott and Napoleon, but I do I can probably live with that dropping out of my five to make room for Scorsese. What about James Gunn? I mean, does that does that knock anything off uh, this list? Um, I'm fine with it not knocking anyone off because it was it wasn't the best directed film. I thought it was just a kind of shining light in a bad year for Marvel, and I really enjoyed it. So yeah, and I think we'll be talking about James Gunn again because I think the fact that he's left Marvel and gone to DC is going to be the story of mainstream cinema for the next few years, whether it works out or not. I think Marvel have lost something big there, haven't they, with him going? And I think he, you know, understanding getting some acknowledgement. So our, our shortlist then is Nolan for Oppenheimer, Greta Gerwig for Barbie, Damien Chazelle for Babylon, Christopher McQuarrie for Mission Impossible, Dead Reckoning Part 1, and Martin Scorsese for Killers of the Flower Moon. Um, look, I've given my shout-outs to these other directors for, for the quality. I mean, my front-runner runner is Nolan for Oppenheimer. I think he's done the best job. What about you? Yeah. Uh, and like, like we said when we talked about this film, it feels like everything Christopher Nolan's ever done in all of his other films was building up to what he's done here. You know, even the films you don't, even the films I, you know, don't like as much of his, like Dunkirk, there's things he did in that film that he perfected in, in Oppenheimer and he's just, he's fucking knocked it out of the park. So his direction there. Um, okay, now, the final kind of main competitive category before we do our little special award um, is Best Picture, Best Film of the Year. Um, and we've talked about all of the films. Here are my five, and I know that there's going to be a couple that you're going to argue with. Oppenheimer, Babylon, Napoleon, Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1, and The Three Musketeers D'Artagnan. I know I'm not going to win the fight on Napoleon, but I did want it to be on my shortlist. Nah, it's nowhere near the best picture of the film. Best picture of the year for me. Who's on your list? Who have you got? Uh, Oppenheimer, Killers of the Flower Moon, um, Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse. Mm-hmm. And then Barbie... And what was my last one? How many is that? Four. Mm-hmm. Best picture: Spider-Man Across Spider-Verse, Kings um, of the Flower Moon, Oppenheimer, and Barbie. So far, I've got a few: Oppenheimer, Barbie, Killers of the Flower Moon, and Across the Spider-Verse. Do your four so far. And the fifth one, again, doesn't really matter, but to toss up between Mission Impossible and Guardians of the Galaxy Three. Well, I'll tell you what we'll do. Let's add Guardians 3 and 
I mean, we don't have a consensus on Napoleon. We'll drop that off. Um, but we can have more than five because the Oscars has more than five on their uh, on their list of nominees. So here is our list of nominees. Oppenheimer, Babylon, Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1, The Three Musketeers D'Artagnan, Killers of the Flower Moon, Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse, Barbie and Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. Now, we have a front runner. Who, before we talk about that, who 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 would you have on the podium? Who would you have close to the best film of the year? Killers of the Flower Bird. So that came close for you. Well, not close at all, but it would be second. <laughs> yeah. I mean, of mine, every year that we've done this, we've had a film that comes out basically at the start of the UK release calendar for the year that I've carried with me and loved for the whole year. And I make the argument for it, even though it's not going to win. I mean, the first the first year that was The Green Knight. Now, that still is my favourite film of 2021, but I can completely live with, you know, I think we, we, we voted for Last Duel for Best Picture. Uh, last year, um, it was Licorice Pizza. That film, you know, I watched it at the beginning of January and I carried it with me uh, all year as my, as my favourite film. Uh, and I, you know... Uh, I realise it wasn't your favourite, and I, you know, I totally understand that. The winner of Best Picture last year. Let me just refresh my memory. We gave it to the Batman, and I can live with that, even though my favourite film was Licorice Pizza. Um, for about half of the year, Babylon was my favourite new film, until a couple of other films came out that sort of that eclipsed it. But for a long time, I carried Babylon in my heart as my favourite film from the year. I thought it was absolutely incredible. I love it. Even though it's flawed, there are things wrong with it. I absolutely love that film, and I, I want I want to shout out for it. So I think our podium occup occupants probably Babylon and Killers of the Flower Moon. If you're going to name one, and I'm going to name one, but I think there's probably only one winner here, right? Yeah, Oppenheimer. Yep. It. I mean, for the same reason that I wanted to talk about the boy in the harem because of the profound effect. I, I was feeling at the end of the film. I, I watched Oppenheimer at a cinema about 20 minutes drive away from where I live. I walked out and I just, I, I, I couldn't even remember where I was parked. I was so overwhelmed by what I just watched that I kind of walked around for a little bit just outside the cinema. So just go, I'm, I, I, I don't want to, I don't want to get in a car and drive. I don't want to start looking for like signposts and listening to the sat nav just now. I just want to, I want to sit with what I've just been watching for a little while. It had such a profound effect on me. Um, and, you know, again, we were discussing the film on the pod. I don't think any biopic of a real person and what they achieved managed to match the intensity of, of or the importance of the events on screen as well as Oppenheimer did. You know, uh, The Imitation Game, Benedict Cumberbatch is really good. It's a well-mounted film. Uh, but that depicts the events of... Alan Turing inventing something that stopped the Nazis fucking destroying the world, you know? But you never quite feel that, you know, the the intensity around how important it was that he did it and how important it was that he pulled it off. Whereas in this, Matt Damon has that speech. He says, why should I bother to listen to you? And Matt Damon says, how about this is the most important thing that anyone's fucking ever done? 
you know, and he kind of just, you know, he's, he's, his teeth are bared when he's saying it. And you just think, well, yeah, that's right. And that's how the film feels. The film feels for three hours, like everything you're watching really fucking matters and really hits home. And, you know, everything is on point. The, the, the writing, the direction, the editing, the acting, the cinematography, it's just everyone's, everyone's in the American parlance hit home run, you know? Everyone's absolutely given a 10 out of 10 performance to take this film absolutely to the top, right? Yeah. I mean, you know, what, what was Oppenheimer for you this year? Just everything you said. It just told a really important story. And what I liked is that it told a story that you wouldn't, like we've already said, he wasn't an extraordinary, didn't have an extraordinary life. He was an extraordinary like scientist and did extraordinary things to kind of, you know, you know, effectively save the planet um, and stop the Second World War. But then he de- he kind of grasps with the wrestles, I suppose is the best word, with the the kind of the aftermath of what he's done. Mm. I thought that was really really well told as well. Just to kind of add on to what you've said. Yeah. Um, I mean, there were yeah, there were criticisms a- of Oppenheimer. Um, you know, the oh, it's you know, there's not there's not much room for the female characters. But I I I, I don't think. I don't think the female the characters are given less screen time than they should have had, given what the film's about and who it's about. I thought, yeah. I thought, you know, I think if you're going to criticise Christopher Nolan's female characters, I think the biggest criticism is probably uh, Ariadne in Inception. She could have, she could have been a bit more. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, no, totally. But for what for what actual parts they play in the story, I both I thought both Florence Pugh and, and Emily Blunt were very good. Um, there were also criticisms. Some people said, oh, they could have done without all the, you know, all the stuff after the war. They wanted more on the actual Manhattan Project. Why do we have a hearing in a room about a security clearance? Why do we have all this stuff about Robert Downey Jr.? But I, I personally think the film justifies all of that because I think the aftermath of of, of the war and the, the mixed legacy of inventing an atomic bomb and what that meant for the rest of the world and the rest of history really matters, you know? it's 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 And I think it's a very well-judged and well-written film for that i remember the criticism that you highlighted was you thought maybe they should have shown a bit more of the actual destruction of hiroshima and the the, the human effect yeah and i think upon a little bit of reflection upon that is that obviously he didn't want to go too much into it because it was a horrifying event bombing those two cities and what happened to the people there was you know catastrophic it is mm-hmm. it is kind of it's inhumane in a sense. It was they were trying to do something humane by end the war, you know, say five years earlier because the Japanese wouldn't give up. But then you've also got to remember that what they did was, you know, they vaporized, you know, mm-hmm. the entire city. So I understand why they didn't show more. I just think when you want to show the true horror of Oppenheimer, and he, Kelly Murphy does a brilliant job of trying to wrestle with like what he did, it's more a fact of. You know, I was expecting a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Um, not necessarily, maybe even as much as the, you know, the dropping of the bomb and you know just showing the kind of the detonation. But maybe that that might have felt a bit jarring because it is kind of just centered in New Mexico mm-hmm. and little bits in Washington and a little, like you know bits in the universities that he studied at. So I understand why it wouldn't be included because it does sort of take the film away from where it is kind of focused on. So I understand why they didn't do it. It was just, I think, to kind of add to Killian Murphy's, you know, you know, 
mental struggle with it, I think could have maybe done a little bit more. I know they, I think they went as far as they think they could have gone. Um, but I know a lot of people thinking, oh, you know, it would have been too hor- horrible to show. And I, mm. I can understand why some people would say that, of course. Yeah, I mean, it felt like a creative choice to me that he wanted to confine the film to those specific pers- perspectives from the point of view of Oppenheimer and the other people, like, on the Manhattan Project. You know, none of them actually saw the bomb go off. They waited to hear. The, you know, the point of view of Oppenheimer, uh, you know, in the room, wrestling with what he's done, having his security clearance taken away, and Emily Blunt asking, why aren't you fighting? Because he feels like he deserves, he doesn't, he does he feels like he doesn't deserve to be a hero given what he's done. And and then the, the aftermath through Robert Downey Jr. And I think Christopher Nolan said, to show anything else would break that sort of specific perspective that he decided to tell the film from. So he tried to tell it from different angles, didn't he? He watches a room full of people turn to dust in front of his eyes um, because he's, he's, he's living with the horror of what he's done that way. And those visions he has of like missiles falling out of the sky and destroying the world, they're trying to say that's how Oppenheimer relived the horror of what he'd done. And they, I think it was a creative choice to do what yeah. they did. No, um, and I understand why, of yeah. course. But yeah, I mean, I, I have no, no qualms about making Oppenheimer the best film of the year. So that's where the award's going? I think so. So best picture goes to Christopher Nolan. I mean, you know, other people will probably get up when they when it when it wins the Oscar if there are other producers involved, but it's Christopher Emma Nolan Thomas for Oppenheimer. Is usually, yeah, his wife his is producing partner, yeah. yeah. Uh for Oppenheimer. So a hell of a a hell of a win for Oppenheimer. If, if we walk through this, Oppenheimer has won eight awards. Those are the big ones. Oppenheimer's obviously a big winner on a night. A couple of quick things that I wanted to to add uh, uh, other um, awards to to consider. Uh, sort of a bit of fun ones. Uh, worst decision of twenty twenty three. Anything Marvel did. See, I've got anything Marvel did. I've got Disney's entire release strategy. Um, there's some other ones. Uh, giving the one chance of the year for a big new sci fi film at the cinemas to Gareth Edwards. I think I, I did separately have Marvel setting up Jonathan Majors as their big bad. That didn't work out for them. Yeah, all, not all, ne- that, not their fault. I would say. Yeah, 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 yeah. All the Hollywood studios refusing to distribute the new Taylor Swift film. That was just dumb. Um, I also here's the one that actually I'm leaning towards is the worst decision of the year: is not releasing Mission Impossible: Dead Reckoning earlier to avoid Barbenheimer. Because that, yeah. that cost them, straight up cost them $200 million. And they literally just had to say, we're going to release this three weeks earlier. And that, that film is a financial success if they do that. And, yeah, the distri- and the distributors asked them to do that. Do you know what I mean? So that's, I wanted to call that one out. So there's a couple of double related awards that I just want to give out now. There's two here. There's, one is the best feature we watched for the pod. So basically of the films that we watch on part two of, of each month's uh, issue, the, the features, the hidden gem, the classics, etc., and the, the remake Hate Watch, probably less so. Um, and also the, the one that got away that we'd most like to um, to see get made. So does anything immediately spring to mind for you as like of the films, the, the features that we watched? I mean, I've got a list here of what we watched, but did anything immediately spring to mind for you? I really enjoyed The Duelist. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought that was very good. Um, that's the one that sticks out out of like out of all of them. That was probably my favourite. 
Yeah, I mean, that made my shortlist. So the, the ones that I picked out of the features that we watched, I think we're going to come up on this. Um, Green Room, Apocalypto, Deja Vu, Michael Clayton, After Hours, 25th Hour, Matchstick Men, Drive, Casualties of War, The Iron Giant, Stalker, The Guard, The Duelists, and Thelma and Louise. And my shortlist out of those was The Duelists, Thelma and Louise, Apocalypto, After Hours, and The Iron Giant. I can completely live with the duelists because that sprung to mind Ooh. for you. It was on my shortlist as well. But that that's that's the kind of long and short list that I came up with when I, yeah, when I wrote I this up. What I, like, we'd, I'd already seen Apocalypto, so I felt like I already knew how good that film was. I think I was just kind of taken aback that that was Ridley Scott's first massive film. And it was, well, I'd say massive. The budget wasn't massive, but it was his first big success. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's why I picked that one. But all those films deserve to be on there. Apocalypto is an absolutely outstanding film, so... Mm. Okay, well, why don't we say the duelist? I think we've got a nice shortlist there. Thelma Louise, I thought was great as well. Apocalypto and so on. The Iron Giant, again, is also a classic piece of animation that just looks all the better now with retrospect. But let's uh, let's call it for the duelists as the best uh, film we watched for the features. Now, in terms of one that ones that got away, here are the ones that got away that we discussed on the pod. These are films that weren't made, and it's a question of which one of these would we really have liked to have seen. There's Paul Verhoeven's Crusade. Jim McBride's Electra, Sheikh Akapur's Pani, John Carpenter's Tombstone, which is a bit tenuous, A Princess of Mars, Joe Carnahan's White Jazz, John Borman's Lord of the Rings, David Lynch's Ronnie Rocket, Bruce Willis and Broadway Brawler, Spielberg's Trial of the Chicago 7, and Kubrick's Napoleon. Now, of those, these are the five that jumped out to me that I'd like to have seen made. Sheikh Akapur's Pani, because I think a an Indian cyberpunk futuristic film like that would genuinely interest me. John Carpenter's Tombstone, because I personally love him to do a Western. Spielberg's Trial of the Chicago 7, because I think one of the all-time great filmmakers doing that story would have been even better, although we did get a good film of that story anyway. Kubrick's Napoleon, just because what a, what a story. What if he'd managed to pull off his version? And Joe Carnahan's White Jazz, because I'm a big James Elroy fan. But do, does anything jump out for you as a, one of those that you would actually... Which one of those would you really... If someone said, oh, they've made that, which one would you actually rush out and see? Uh, probably Kubrick's Napoleon. Yeah? Yeah. That is the biggest biggest story there. Let's do it. So the one that got away the light just seen is Kubrick's Napoleon. Now that concludes the uh, the awards that we that we wanted to give out. Thank you very much for listening. Thank you very much for helping with those nominations, mate. Thank you very much to Obi and Mac for their uh, for their contribution to the Best Visual Effects Award. Did you have anything else that you wanted to say in terms of awards or to sum up the year? Yeah, I just wanted to say that if we did like, you know, costume and set design, art direction, all those, you know, awards, they would have probably gone to Barbie just to kind of beef up the awards that they got just because I think people are, a lot of people feel like, they didn't get a lot of recognition in say the directing and best actress but it probably will win you know things like set design costume and those kind of things and probably yeah. best song so yeah, yeah that would be my only thing but yeah yeah I think, a, yeah, I think Barbie, Barbie does deserve a shout out for that I mean they did have an exceptional sort of aesthetic that they built for that film right definitely That's all for this month's episode of Double Reel. Thanks for listening and for making it all the way to the end. Thanks also to my co-host, James Adamson. The podcast is hosted on the Podbean Network and edited in Audacity. We are grateful for their continued support. 
The music was Mistake the Getaway by Kevin MacLeod. Outside of W, you can find us both hosting a non-film related podcast, The Adamsons Verses. We hope to bring you a new episode soon. So this is me, James Adamson, signing off and... This is me, James Adamson, signing off. Our next episode will be our regular episode 46 on the 25th of February. Look out for any special episodes we decide to do in future. If you enjoyed this podcast, please leave a review and tell your friends. Until next time, stay safe, watch lots of films, and may your life be as awesome as you pretend it is on social media. Fuck the match. That'll do.